As long as you're good, I'm good. I'm, I'm we're good, good too. We're rolling, so we're good. What's up, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the All Star Comics Podcast, powered by Horizon Comics. I am your host, Jonathan Cote, and joining me on the panel tonight are. Oh, I'm first, Johnny Morales. <laughs> oh, uh, Brian LS. <laughs> and Roger May. And if this is your first time listening to us, we are a review slash spoilery podcast. Uh, we typically review a goddamn plane. You didn't say Stop br- it. You didn't say brought to you by a live studio audience. Yeah, brought <laughs> to you by a live studio audience, as is our new tradition or standard of format, if mm-hmm. you will. So say hi, everybody. Hi, everybody. Yeah. So if this is your first time listening to us, we are a spoiler slash review podcast. We typically review a Marvel book, a DC book, and in any book each week, along with a graphic novel, we will play some trivia and answer some questions and hit you with some news. Also producing, as always, is Matt Lubick. Say hi, Matt. What's up? I almost forgot about you. I'm sorry. What's up? Can't forget Matt. So uh, so without further ado, Johnny. Yes. Tell us about Thank you, Matt. Breaking news. Actually, not breaking. This is quite old. But today, Marvel has announced a 10-part Uncanny X-Men arc called Disassembled. It's going to be written by Ed Brisson. Uh, who wrote Extermination, Kelly Thompson, who's writing Mr. and Mrs. X, and Matthew Rosenberg, who's writing The Punisher and who wrote uh, Phoenix, Phoenix Resurrection, and I believe he's writing uh, Multiple yeah. Man uh, right now. And uh, it's going to be joined by uh, artists Mah- Mahmoud Azrar, uh, R.B. Silva, and Yuldire Sinar. And Perry per- Perez. Uh, yes, uh, who is who drew us stuff on Weapon X. I was going to say, the only thing that matters is David Marquez did the key preview art. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And on Kenny X-Men, I guess, number one. Weird. Um, Do they not have an Uncanny X-Men book? Nope, not right now. That's the whole big deal about it. Oh, okay. So, yeah, Uncanny X-Men number one. Uh, You've got X-Men across every color of the rainbow. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Black, red, blue, gold. Every other adjective like possible, Astonishing. but no uncanny. That's then why it's a big deal that uncanny is coming back. You know they're really going to jump the shark when they introduce an ultraviolet X-Men. Um, <laughs> they already did that at Justice League. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> moving on. Uh, Image Comics partners with uh, Comic Book Legal Defense Fund for September anti-censorship variants, uh, and these will support, um, you know, it's to support free speech advo- a- advocacy. That's a word. Um DC's Pearl number one is going to reprint uh, Bendis and Gato's Citizen Wayne Batman story. Uh, apparently, they did a Citizen Wayne black and white Batman short story back in 2000, and they're going to reprint yep. it in Pearl number one. Before he was exclusive. Oh, okay. Um, Chip Zdarsky announces Spectacular Spider Man Departure uh, in a Reddit M- AMA. Um, cool. he, uh, his last issue is the upcoming issue 310. Uh, and that's going to be his last uh, spectacular is it Spider-Man. Ending, or is he just jumping? Um, I'm not sure. Who's what? Uh, Chip Zdarsky is leaving Spider-Man. Spectacular. Oh, spectacular! I was about yeah. to say he wasn't on. Yeah, like, spectacular. That's what I'm not sure. Is I the forgot. series ending or is he just leaving? We'll see. Uh, it will be his last for the series, though the creator claims it was a hard decision to make. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure if they're gonna keep continuing after that. And let's see. And the last piece of news is DC Nation number four. The uh, cover promises the death of a DC hero. And that's coming out September 5th. Dun, dun, dun. Yes. Um, but yeah, that's it for the news. Yeah. Uh, apparently, the cover says is like, in 21 days, one of these characters dies. Uh, okay. okay. All right. Well, what about questions? Questions. You got something? 
the, I got uh, Roger. The two emails. There are, uh, yeah, there are questions. Matt, go ahead with uh, the first one of yours. All right. So Aaron Candelaria, thank you for sending in an email. He gave us some constructive criticism for the show, which I will read over and let you guys know what's going on. So he says, all right, before reading on, know that what I'm about to say comes from a good place. Constructive criticism. While promoting the Patreon page, you guys should most definitely be advertising the other tiers that you offer at least once a month or so. That may entice your listeners to check out the other offers, and your revenue might just increase. Another thing, please tell Jonathan to stop calling your non-subscribers cheapskates. <laughs> it could possibly rub someone the wrong way. Yeah, that hurts. <laughs> That's the point. <laughs> True. <laughs> That's the point. Uh, I don't think you should do lightning rounds for the comic review portion of the show because no one tends to follow the rules by staying within their minute, along with everyone else just interrupting their time. It becomes a jumbled mess, and I feel like the comics are just skimmed over. I like the traditional way of reviewing comics. <laughs> what, it's just a longer jumbled <laughs> mess? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> overall, I, li- I personally like the one minute for each of us and then a, and then a short general discussion, yeah. you know, collaborative style after that because it gives everybody a chance to kind of say their piece. Um, you know. Anyway, go ahead. He says, if time is an issue, then I recommend just timing each review as a whole panel with 8 to 15 minutes per comic. By having a neglected time portion of the show by some or the whole panel makes it seem like an amateur show. The live, quote, portion of the show is a great idea, but if the, quote, live audience is engaging with the panel, they need to be heard. So I suggest you either have a separate mic specifically for them or that the panel share mics with one of them. I love being able to listen on your organic conversations, but if we're listening to the audience, we can't hear their part if they uh, have something to say and it gets lost. Again, please remember that these critiques come from a place of love. I absolutely love what you guys are doing, and I admire your dedication and commitment to the show. I just want your podcast to be the best it can be. Awesome. Thanks, Aaron. Thank you. Um, Yeah, I think, and now, I think that that we're going to be doing the the live audience component to to the ASCP. I think that it would be good to have a mic if anybody wants to come up and Ask a question Ask or a engage. Question. Yeah. I can make that happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good. yeah, definitely good advice. Um, one more? You got or something else? Yeah. Okay. Um, from Robert Johns. Oh, I was going to read this. Okay. Uh, you want to read that? I don't care. It's fine. Okay. Go ahead, Johnny. Yeah. So from Robert Johns, hey, guys, I recently started listening to the podcast on the recommendation of Nathan... Thank you, Nathan, who's sitting right over there. Thanks, Nathan. And I am really enjoying your discussions and the banter in general. I've been a casual reader of comics for a long time, but never jumped in and read a whole story arc or followed specific artists or writers. Your discussions make me want to dig in, and I'm going to start with Mouse. Uh, Ooh. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Keep up the great conversations, and thanks for the podcast. Cheers, Robert Johns. Thank you, Robert. Thank you so much, Robert. Yeah, and Mouse. That's a heavy one to start. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that, That's what a great book. Yeah. What a great book. Mm-hmm. Such, I mean, it's artistically uh, phenomenal. It, it's, Schedule um, time to cry and lay down and think about yeah. things. Yeah. The thing about that, that book, though, it's like it's not like a traditional comic book, like mm-hmm. what we think of as a comic book. Yeah. So maybe you should, like paired with Mouse, you should also have something that's more, you know, quote unquote traditional. Even though like it might, it, it doesn't have to be superhero related. It just has to be something that is not you know, yeah, maybe, I mean, that'll or you could come. just read Mouse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, could. read Mouse, because look, I mean, if he... <laughs> but then, you like, know, if you he get, reads Mouse, and then he reads something else, like, oh, okay, this isn't as good as Mouse. Yeah, but you get pulled into reading Mouse, mm-hmm. and you're you're going to be pulled into that story, and, and the way um, that Spiegelman employs all of these different devices to mm-hmm. tell that story, 
uh, is amazing. I don't. You, you can just read it. Yeah. You want other tremendous graphic novels? There's no shortage of them, and and we'll definitely hook you up. Yeah. Um. Okay, so I've got a question. Um, Heather DePaz. Yeah. Which this is a little lighter. Which character from a comic would you like to see have a mini series or even a one shot comic focused just on them? For me, it would be a mini series of Red Tool. <laughs> I love you, Heather. Red Tool. Uh, Red Tool from Harley Quinn. Oh. It's a Deadpool knockoff. Okay. <laughs> I, know. I was like, I don't know who that character is. Um, I'd love to see more of his story and past. Okay. Anybody? A mini series or booster gold? Series? I think um, you always say this because it's a travesty that he hasn't been done yet. Booster's a little underrepresented. Yeah, you're right. Like Blue Beetle has like his own series or had. Is this the yeah. one? No. Oh, okay. For, I'm fairly certain Blue Beetle ended, but it always ends and comes back. They, they right, right. It. And plus, he appears in other, other stuff. So. Yeah, it's it's tough for me because most of the guys I think of, my thoughts go directly to Marvel and I think about you know obscure characters that stand out to me it's like Jack of Hearts <laughs> and well Wonder Man's dead. not as obscure but I, th- but I think do I really want a longer story with them and I'm like no mm. I'm good but does it have to be Marvel or DC no I mean it oh, could okay. be yeah I'll take another series of Morning Glories please <laughs> no matter oh. what it is <laughs> but no a mini series it could be a mini series underrepresented like or a character that's like a side character. Give me like. So you have to pick like one of the glories from Morning Glories. Yeah. Any of them. Somebody that hasn't <laughs> had a series yet, or. Because what my mind, be I love Sin City. So oh. in all the Sin City books, there's the waitress Shelley, played by Brittany Murphy in the movie. Yeah. So she sees everybody because they all come into the bar. So I think something a story told from her perspective would be pretty interesting. That's awesome. Yeah, they could do. That's and the really thing awesome. is, is that fits in that universe. So they could do a mm-hmm. whole yarn based on yeah. her. And how she got to that bar, yeah. or what she does after she leaves the bar. Exactly. That'd be that'd be great. That's a good answer. <laughs> so, any other questions? Yeah, uh, I have one from Sean Levesque. Okay. Uh, hey, Sean. Yeah, he says my city only has one small comic shop that always frustrated me how it was managed. A comic company uh, that I happen to know the owner is planning on buying a location and offered me to run the store which would have been a dream five years ago. However, I currently have a good paying stable job with benefits, pension, etc. Keep and, it. Yes, please. <laughs> Hold on, let me finish. Uh, and have a family, two-year-old and another on the way. I oh, lo- definitely keep it. Yes, please. Hold, yes, keep it, but hold on. I'd love to drop my current job and work in an industry that I'm passionate about, but also very worried about the risk at this time in my life. I'm leaning more on not doing it and maybe being a side support co-manager to keep my day job. Any thoughts? Roger, how did you feel when you had your opportunity for Horizon? Um, well, yeah. you know, um, Horizon Comics was kind of an organic thing that... Uh, Listen to Origin Story. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. It's on the feed. It, <laughs> it's from our own stuff. <laughs> it kind of grew out of, out of happenstance and nothing, you know? Um, it, it, it spawned out of my renewed interest in comics but not wanting to have a collection. So I would buy comics online and then turn around and resell them for a profit. Um, And it ended up 
within short time, I mean like six months, um, I started thinking about the possibility of, of leaving my, I had, a, I, had a, I had a federal job as an economist and it was a good job and it had good benefits. I'm gonna start crying now. <laughs> uh, but um, within within a year, you know, I mean, I, it, it was it was so much work and it was doing so well that uh, the risk know, was mitigated, we, right? And and we made a decision, understanding that it, it would we we were still some time away. But in order, you know, for it to work, I had to dedicate all of my time to it, and and so I did. Leave your um, cushy federal job. The comic, you know, at the time that we did that, the comic mm. industry was extremely strong. I mean, it was just after um, Civil War. Mm-hmm. You know, there was some Marvel was was just dominant. Um, DC less so, but there was a lot of great indie books coming out. Um, and uh, we were doing it extremely well. I, you know, over time, over the past decade, I've found the comic industry to be a little bit fickle, especially on the retail side. Um, so I, dude, I, you know, I love your love for comics. Yeah. I love that you want to spend more time doing it, but, you know, the one thing for you that's going to be really hard is, you know, having a two-year-old, um, keep your job, keep your benefits, Pension. do that kind of on the side yeah. and let, let that be, you know, uh, a labor of love yeah. part-time. See, yeah, don't, you don't want you don't want that full time because it'll it'll stress you. You'll out. kind of be working all the time. Yeah. <laughs> One well, of the things that I you love will start worrying really quick. Yeah. One of the things that I love is, uh, with everything that I have to do now, is doing the show and reading the comics is like my um, release. What I, yeah, my my de stressor for the week. So, I couldn't imagine like. I know, like, this is, you know, your labor of love and everything like that. And I, I, I think I would absolutely love to have and run a shop, too. But I kind of like it being my, you know, my not hobby more. and no, the thing that I get to do, not yes. the thing that I have to do. And you here's know the I, problem. When, when it becomes your, um, your means of living, okay, when it becomes the source of, of your means and it's not providing then it it really becomes a stress and it actually starts to create conflicts within you like you know you you can you can hate comics yeah for other reasons because you have not just because they're bad yeah you have a complicated relationship because you're a retailer also so now you have a whole nother side of this that you have to look at it too it's not just the enjoyment of reading the comics now it's i sell these things right it's a business and how do you you know, God forbid you get in a comic uh, and it happens all the time. Um, you know, we don't pull any punches on the podcast. If it's if it's bad, we say it's bad. You know, at least I mean that's that's our own subjective experience with it. You know, yeah. But uh, I'm, I'm all about you know truth and advertising. If there's a bad comic, I don't want you to read it. The problem is once you become a retailer, you know, if you order 50 copies of a book. And you open it up and you think it sucks. How are you going to sell that, uh, you know, let alone one copy or 50 copies, you know? So you end up you end up gaining conflicts by making that transition yeah. uh, from fan to 
uh, owner yeah. or whatever, See, manager, whatever. He, he, um, he says that he would be the manager, so he wouldn't have that much risk. But the thing yeah, is, like... But that's still the, your... Yeah. I mean, that's your occupation. Right. And, so. like, the industry is, like, fragile, you know? Uh, sure, this comic shop could be there, uh, could have been there for a very long time, but, like, look at Meltdown Comics, you know? Look at all these comic shops uh, yeah. opening up and then closing. Look at uh, Versus, you know, back in Palmdale. It, it's it's very, uh, it's it's kind of hard to tell if things are going to work. And right now, you have you have something good. And I don't know, like, if you're happy at that job or, or whatever. But like, the, everything is good. And while you may be happy for a time running uh, your own shop, uh, you can grow to dislike it. And something that you're very passionate about, like growing to dislike it, is a horrible feeling. You don't want to do that anymore, and it sucks. It drains every... Well, there's like, always going to be an ebb and flow. That, yes. uh, oh, yeah, definitely. You know, you're going to have to learn to gut things out in life, you know. Um, yeah, but, but, like, when it's your job, you can't... like, And if you hate it, like, that sucks, you know. You can't step away from it. You can't step away. Like, you and I, right now, like, if we don't want to do this podcast, if we don't want to read comics, we can leave. All right, right bye, Johnny. <laughs> um, you know, no, no, so, like, yeah, honestly, like, sometimes I feel like, man, I hate all of this, you know, because that, that's the way I am. Sometimes? Um, sometimes. 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 So, yeah, like, like a, a couple of months ago, I, uh, when I was, like, really down, I didn't want to do any photography, I didn't want to read any comics, I didn't want to write, I didn't want to do anything that I loved. Uh, I'm in a better place now. But anyway, like, that's... that's you that. know you can tell us that. No, 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 I know. Or me. Yeah. You know? <laughs> no, okay. no, I, I, I enjoy our conversations. Um, I actually really look forward to them. It's just sometimes, you know, my mind uh, goes... Uh, sure. But yeah, and, like, I've listened to countless podcasts, and every few years or so, a uh, comics podcast specifically, they say, like, man, this feels like work. I don't want to do this. I'm going to take a break. Yeah. And, and some people do that. And I can't imagine... Sure. Like, you having this huge passion for you, and, and I would hate for it to go away. Um, be, and I'm not saying it will, because it probably yes. it never will. Like, you know, comics well, are I, a, a I, part of your life, but sometimes it comes and goes. And you're speaking to Sean. Yes. Yeah. Um, I echo that sentiment. Um, it's something that I do struggle with. Look, there there's absolutely an ebb and flow. There are, you know, right now, and, and I, I say... You know, I mean, our shop has been going through lean times. Well, it's been almost two years, and I want that. I want that to end. You know, that's kind of what this is about. It's like this isn't. It's like this isn't what I bargained for. You know, I can go. I, I, I well, I, I like to think I can go back and get a job anywhere else, but I want. I I I love this industry. Um, I have mad but, respect for the fact that you you're doing what you can to make this work, and you're evolving your business and yeah. and your approach, yeah. and you're growing it into you know more than just a comic shop. God bless you. Well, Seriously. I'm Blaine. No, I'm a, I'm a firm believer. Look, I you know, this is something that I've spent, and Brian, I've talked to you about this um, too. Which Brian, you got to pipe down, dude. You're getting too <laughs> you're so getting, loud over you're there, man. So loud and Sorry. obnoxious with it. Fridays do this. I just want to point out that. Uh, Brian is sketching while we're all talking, and it's well. This is what I do. I always listen to you guys while I'm drawing. Yeah, so and it's okay. well, it's freaking so awesome. Yeah, I, you guys I was gonna point out that it's it's <laughs> really looking rad. freaking rad, dude. So um, hey, I'm just busting your chops. Sorry. I, I got yeah, a, sure. ju this just in email. If you guys are done with that question, uh, okay. Uh, no, I was gonna say okay. something. Um, oh no, uh, over the past year, you know, I've been thinking. It's like you know, this isn't the here's the thing: the traditional comic shop model isn't working 
you know. Um, there are a lot of things. Now, I, you can argue, if you will, about what a traditional comic shop is. Most people, or excuse me, most comic shops today um, have a significant gaming revenue. Um, th those shops are probably doing better than we are, but we focus on comics and graphic novels. That's where my passion is. Um, not that there's not overlap. There is. But um, my first love will always be the comics and graphic novels. Um, so it's it's like okay if you're gonna if you're gonna embrace that notion, you know that demographic. What is the next generation comic book shop that that is successful? You know how do you how do you invite new people into uh, into the medium? And that's really that's where I focus my efforts. Um, whether or not we'll successful, stay tuned. Right. We got a ju uh, this just in from Bryce Smith. Oh. All right. Hey, Bryce. Uh, he sent in an email said, "Hey there, crew. Just saw the official walkthrough for the Horizon After Dark, and all I can that can be said is, wow, that is awesome. All the imagination, design, and hard work really paid off in a big, big way. The feel of Gotham contained within a room. Wow." Congrats on the mon 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 monumentous project. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> Bryce. Johnny moment I, there. Yeah. <laughs> Stuttering. You seriously did monumentous. though. Monumentous project. So that was Bryce. Wow. All right, real quick, I got some actual listener like comic related questions, real okay. quick. Um, and this this kind of this first one's more for I think Roger. <laughs> They're all for Roger. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you'll see why in a second. Yeah, it's, go ahead. It, it's Aaron Candelaria. And he says, I want to know what's so great about the Fantastic Four. All I have to go off of, and he's, I don't think he's being a, a jerk. He's like, all I have to go off of is the movies. Please enlighten me. Oh, God. Sorry, I'm texting. Okay. It's very important or I would stop. Come on, somebody. What's important about Fantastic Four? Well, they're Four? the first family, right? They're the first, first family, family of comics. Oh, no, 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 no. Sorry. I wanted somebody to tell me what that reference was from. I do this to people stuff. all the time. Sorry, and, and I'm It's texting? always an epic fail. I'm texting. Know. It's very important, or I would stop. Uh, Thank you, Kayla. What, what was it? Doctor Horrible. Oh, okay. I, I saw it once. Neil Patrick Harris. Really good. Yeah. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. One more time, real quick. I want to know what's so great about the Fantastic Four. All I have to go off of is the movies. Please enlighten me. Oh God. Okay, <laughs> so go back to uh, early to mid 1970s, um, just after we landed on the moon, and you've got this family. The, you know, albeit somewhat dysfunctional, but uh, this family of adventurers who all have superpowers and they go into uncharted territories together and fight evil. That's like the f best thing ever. Sorry. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> to, to, to a 10 year old in the 70s, it's I was like, right. sorry. Uh, I think like, and, and was it in the 60s? Yeah, 60s. No, was like I was. Oh, I was. Oh, okay. I'm talking about when I was reading Fantastic Four, uh, early to mid '70s, because it was still. I mean, you know, we landed on the moon in 1969, and everything was right. still space. about space and exploration, yeah. and um, and then, you know, the family aspect of it. You know, again, even being you know somewhat of a dysfunctional family, they were cohesive. Um, they fought together as a unit. They fought together as a unit. Um, the first Marvel I, I loved everything about them. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. true. Like in the Marvel universe, we know they were the first, the heroes. They yeah. ushered in that age. Yeah. yeah. And also, like, from myself as a creator, in quotes, um, 
the story of how the Fantastic Four came to be with Stan Lee just deciding to like, I'm going to do what I want. Because he was he was kind of at like the end of his rope. Yeah, yeah. And his wife told him, God rest her soul. Yeah. His wife told him, do what you want. Write the story that you want to write, and everything will be fine. Yeah. And he was like, you know what? Okay, this is the story I want to write, and it changed comics forever. By the way, Larry just did a multiversity on the, oh, the okay. creation of the FF. So Perfect. Coming out for that. soon. Yeah, probably in the next couple of weeks. I yes. don't know. One of them. Yeah, I, I love that. Like, taking a risk and it paying off, and then reinventing an entire industry yeah. with that risk. Because I know Bryce sent me um, a, a text, um, I think, by Instagram. Like, he was like, what was, you know, he, he and the guys at his shop were talking about it, and they were kind of meh about the book. They were like, what's with all the singing? Yeah. And, and he texts me, I'm like, dude, I haven't read it yet. I'm still trying to They're finish singing. my, you know, There's... my reading for the work. But I'll look into it. Dude, I have no idea what the singing's about. Um, I don't ever remember being that a prominent part of... Fantastic Four history. I didn't even know Johnny was a singer, but I think it an was, actor. Yes, yeah. I think it was just but. more to like a family moment. That sequence of frames, you know, yeah. like Susan thinking she's the best singer, but then everybody yeah. votes John. And we'll get into that in the review. Yeah, let's I get found yeah because for me that was a family moment. That that. It was a heartwarming yeah moment that really did a lot to set the tone of the comic. Yeah, because even the interaction with Susan and Reed after that was great. Okay. Like, object, uh, subjectively, Are we yes, at dear. the reviews now? Uh, we are should we, be. That's a great segue. Are we there? Let's, let's, let's just go into reviews. Yeah, let's review Fantastic Four. All right, cool. Who's pitching So, uh, Aaron sent in two other questions, but Aaron, because we've been rambling for a while, I'm going to save them for next week. So, yeah. sorry. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Fantastic Four, go. Uh, Fantastic Four, number one, written by Dan Slott, um, art by Various, uh, Sarah Pichelli, Simone Bianchi, Scotty Young, um, Marty Gracia, was he the... Marty Gracia is a colorist. Colorist? Okay. So, in this issue, we find that the Fantastic Four are not yet here, or back, if you will. We have Ben, who's pretty much given hope of ever finding these guys again. Uh, sorry, Reed and Sue. Um, Johnny, who is still, still holding, on. holding on to, you know, uh, the optimism that they will be reunited. Um, and spoiler, Ben proposes to Alicia. It was probably the cats. Um, but uh, then by, by the end of the issue... Uh, they are given a sign that uh, Reed and Sue are perhaps still alive and reaching out to them and the kids, from afar. Right? And the kids. Yeah, and the kids. Valeria and... Franklin. Franklin. Johnny, go ahead. Give yeah. us your one minute. That was a minute. Yeah. <laughs> um, I haven't read much of Fantastic Four. The stuff that I've read is like really old stuff, like the Marvel Masterworks. Like uh, I'm pretty sure I've read up to issue, like, 70 or so. And, you know, they're campy and fun. Uh, so I don't really understand, like, the new Fantastic Four, but I loved everything about this book. It just seems it, it seems a little bit bigger than the Marvel Universe. It doesn't feel like it takes place in the Marvel Universe where the Avengers are. Where, and I kind of like that. It, it feels like they have... They, the Fantastic Four are so big that they have their own corner 
of the Marvel Universe that you can just kind of dive right into it without uh, like yep. needing any context. Um, sure, you don't know what's going on with uh, what's going on with uh, Reed and Sue being gone and the kids, but like you don't care because while there isn't a family dynamic yet, it's still what the Fantastic Four should be, or at least to me, it's it's still fun and a little bit lighthearted, and I love that about this issue. Great, you're same thing. Just killed a perfect minute time. Here's Thank next. you, Brian. Uh, so, did anybody else think about Future Quest when reading this? I don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking like it. Maybe it was the the art style or the Saturday morning cartoon feel of it. Um, I loved it, and I also uh, I didn't expect it to be two stories. I don't know if this was promoted anywhere, but like I didn't read the credits or anything, so I got halfway through, and then it's the second story, which is all about Doom. Doom and I yeah. love Doom so freaking much, He's and good. I love Bianchi's art, so this is freaking great for me. And um, I don't know if it, maybe I'm just reading into it too much, but I thought that the two stories were both about hope. It was about Ben losing hope. It was about Johnny stubbornly holding on to that hope. And then in the Doom story, it was about him inspiring the hope. Right. And so they each, like... It all, it all revolves around that. And uh, I don't have any experience with Fantastic Four either. Mm. So I was like, am I going to be lost because I didn't read the Future Foundation or whatever it's called? <laughs> and um, uh, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it all, all the way through. Awesome. That was a minute. Jonathan? I'm super glad that... Sorry, I'm going to go. Yeah, go. Again? <laughs> um, I don't have a whole... Well, I, he, I, he I pitched, pitched it. Yeah, he pitched it. <laughs> so I just, but I, I didn't give my minute. I, I didn't tell everybody what I, what I thought about this. Go. So... I'm really glad you picked up on the hope aspect, too, because okay. that was something that I didn't realize as a kid that I really got out of this. I mean, I got the sci-fi adventure, you know, uh, world's unknown kind of aspect of the Fantastic Four that, that did it for me. But there was also um, always a hopefulness that came out in their books. And, I, and with Dan Slott really, you know, bringing that out in this comic... Um, I was like, oh, wow. You know, it was it was kind of a different... There wasn't a lot of adventure in here. It was a lot of, you know, family dynamic and emotional, you know, uh, examination. But, um, man, I mean, it really did it for me. I love the Doom story, too, even as... Because it's kind of a darker angle. Yeah. Um, I love the, the Mr. Impossible thing in the back. Like, ah, you thought you were going to get this, and you right. didn't. Oh, well. Did you guys read um, the dedications or anything? No. Because this was published uh, 57 years to the date of the Fantastic Four's debut. Oh, really? wow. Yeah. I thought uh, that was a pretty cool. Oh, shoot. I'm going to have to go back and read that. That's really cool. I, I love this comic. Um, I love what Dan Slott has set up. I think that, you know, Dan Slott is a, a, a world builder. He really takes his time to develop stories over time and, and leaves breadcrumbs along the way. Um, and builds on the characters and the story arcs, and I, I, I think he's up to the task. I like what he started a lot. I didn't get to read the whole book because I was busy as freaking crap this week, but um, there's a lot of elements that I did like out of the first half of the story, or the, the first story out of this book. Um, Sarah Pichelli's pencils were freaking oh. fantastic. Yeah. Um, I, really, I really liked the, the look of the, the main story, um, I love... Did you uh, at least get to this part? Yeah. Oh, okay. It's the whole first story. Yeah, you got it. Um, I, I enjoyed it a lot. I think uh, Dan Slott, you know, kicked it out of the park just based off of what I read. I wish I could have taken my time with it and uh, kind of analyzed it a little bit more because I, I did like the, the singing panels. 
Uh, I thought that was a great moment just with the family where Susan thinks she's, you know, the better singer. And yeah. Yeah. Reed, you know, she's asking Reed, and he's like, well, subjectively, uh, of course, it's you, dear, but <laughs> as a scientist, objectively, I, I uh, you know what, I have to steer the ship. That's so good. <laughs> he just kind of, kind of avoids the question, you know. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I, there's a lot of great little moments like that when Ben proposes to Alicia is awesome. Oh, that's yeah, a great yeah. moment. Yeah. And Johnny's um, reaction to it was Johnny's reaction to it at first because you know he how badly he wants Reed to be at the wedding and and all right. that. A lot of great you know moments like that um, that he was able to really encapsulate into just the first story here. So um, well, I, and that I was it. that was so important too because I mean this is the first family of comics yeah. and I think that you really. Look, if you're going to tell a successful Fantastic Four story, it can't just be this grand adventure. Yeah. It also, you, you have to really encapsulate that family dynamic, you know, the, 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 the bickering and, yeah. and prodding between Ben and Johnny, you know, um, the relationship between Sue and Reed. Of course, we haven't gotten there yet, but um, you really kind of... But I, I think what he really successfully does is... Dan Slott kind of gives you a very good idea of what Reed and Sue mean yeah. to them, yeah. you know? And I, I love it. I mean, for me, it was four and a half stars. Almost not, not quite perfect, but pretty darn close. I yeah. really liked it. And I think, it's, I think it's hard to rate it perfect without those other two in there. Um, we'll see. Um, it's it's by no means a perfect book, but I loved it nonetheless, and it's a five for me for that reason because I just I don't read a lot of Fantastic Four, and this just makes me want to pick it up, even though I just trimmed my pull list. Anyway, uh, I'm going to be picking this up because I I loved everything about this. It's nice. a five. I'm gonna go with four. It just feels appropriate, right? Yeah. Because it's the Fantastic Four, four and it's a it's a yeah. Fantastic there Four for me, so um, I you know I I don't have any complaints other than just my own schedule. I wish I could have taken more time with it, especially to admire the pencils because it's I it's been a while since I've gotten to see Sarah Pacelli's or Pacelli. I don't know how you say her last name. You'll want to continue reading that Doom story because it's oh, really yeah. good. Uh, oh man, okay. Because it's basically mm-hmm. this this girl from the Rebellion in Liberia who goes to him and says, "We need you." There's something I mean, she plays because Doom is ego on, on his yeah. like the personification yes. of ego and the fact that like she is coming to him and saying we need you you are our savior just playing to and it and he's just like all right you know and the very last panel if I may spoil it he says um I will I will I can't remember what by exactly, my hand by alone. my own oh my god like yeah. that's so Doom so that that panel itself I I threw it on scanner I was like I need this page as my desktop wallpaper because. This makes me feel empowered for whatever reason. Yeah. It's he's, a killer page. Yeah, he's such a great character, too. And that's what I love, too. Look, uh, Dan Slott really set him up. By doing that as a separate story, mm-hmm. and I think that they'll probably continue that shortly. I love Simone Bianchi's yeah. art. I mean, it's just you have that, uh, I don't know, art wash yeah. feel to it that is it's amazing. Real quick. Uh, Blaine. Yes. Who's your favorite Marvel villain? Doom. Just remember all caps when you spell the man's name. D-O-O-M. So if you didn't hear that, uh, Doom. 
I just sorry, I had to have that thrown in yeah. since we were talking about Doom. <laughs> Dude, hey, right, had him in the castle, had him strapped up. Oh my god. Yeah. That was that, that was yeah. Anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Oh no. Yep. All caps. Doom. So great character. Yeah, this is, look, I, I really do think everybody should pick up this book. I think that this is going to be the start of a, good a run. truly epic run. I really do. You feel as good about this as uh, his Spider-Man run? Because he was a great steward of oh, uh, he was Parker. He was a fantastic steward. The, the problem with Dan Slott's start on Spider-Man was that he was one of four different writers. Ah. They basically, yeah. yeah. But he you gets had, to have captain this four ship. guys, yeah. right? By himself. Is this monthly? Yeah. yeah. Okay, I'm picking this up. So it's, you know, this is. I really do think this is going to be a special book. It's really weird that Chip Zdarsky's writing Spider-Man and Two and One, and then now Dan Slott was writing Spider-Man and now Fantastic Four. It worked out yeah. that way. What was your uh, rating? Brian? I don't know. I want to. I, I want to say four. But I feel like I, I don't want to give it less than a five because to me it was great. Like as yeah. I'm not a Fantastic Four fan, but I was like, this is so cool. Like Four's I want more of this. Did you really Four's like it or did you love it? I don't know. <laughs> I don't okay. know because I, uh, also what you were saying about how um, it feels like a good start, and I want more, and I want I want the Doom collected because I want the, to stare at that art and to just read right. about this character. Right. So. Hell yeah. Just so between a four more. and a five, then. So four point <laughs> so five, sure. There it four point nine. I don't even know, but there's you, can say, a, you can say four and a half. If you <laughs> sure. Want. I love it. On. He's not here. Not on this. Oh, that's no, no that's, that's a Sod Rivik's cover. Yeah. Blaine, be quiet. Having live audience was just a bad idea. All right. <laughs> Uh, let's do the uh, indie book next. Who wants to review that? Farmhand number two? Jonathan, go for it. Uh, I really, this is by Rob Guillory. This is his first uh, creator-owned um, title. Uh, he, he was the artist on Shoe, and he was a co-creator on that, I believe, with John Lehman. Um, if you like Rob Guillory's art style, it's very much uh, the same. Um, but Farmhand is about a particular son and father who are kind of estranged. And uh, the father of the, this son, I believe his name's Ezekiel, or Zeke for yeah, short, Zeke. Uh, grew, uh, came up with like a special seed where he's able to grow body parts. And it sounds creepy and weird, but his whole point is that he, he wants to help people heal. So he's able to like organically grow body parts that will uh, replace missing appendages, organs, things like that without uh, any real damage or anything like that to, to somebody. But it's weird because it's grown on a farm. Right. And so what we end up having is some mystery, like, because I think, I can't remember the name of the seed that he grew, but we have other people that are interested in taking it for their own gain um, and you know, manipulating that, and we've got some shady people that are coming in here on top of all the family drama in this book. So, this issue two, I like the series from what I've read out of the first two. Um, so, now you said that yeah. there was no real uh, side effects. However, 
faced. Well, I yeah. Right, they yeah, turn green, right? Okay. Well, the the coloration uh-huh. eventually goes. The the discoloration goes away. Does it away though? Because there was a character on there that looked like she had green tint to her. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember what that was for, but in the first issue, they, they say, like, hey, you're... And then they do it with the nose. This woman yeah, like, yeah. was missing a nose, and he tells her, like, it should match your... Eventually catch up to, okay. like... You were the first issue? Yeah. Oh, okay. So, dude, I have all of Chew. Yeah. I'm not gonna yeah. not have... No, 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 know, no, for check sure. Check out what Farmhand is. For sure. So. Um, yeah, I'm a little conflicted with this one, because it looks like Chew. It, some of the... It's Rob Guillory. Well, yeah, it's not no, going to like, look on. different. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not done. It looks like Chew. There's some comedic elements to Chew, uh, like Chew, but it doesn't read the same. And not obviously, it's not the same writer. And I think like Rob Guillory needs a little bit more time to develop his writing style because it... Um, I don't know why, but I didn't like his dialogue between characters. I'm not sure. Uh, I, I can't place exactly what was bothering me with it, but it, it just felt a little bit disjointed, uh, at least to me. It, it wasn't bad. Um, it just some The premise is really good. To it's me, just, it just felt like a raw family. Okay. It didn't feel like... Dude, it's not... I don't think there's going to be anything pretty about, you know, some of the stuff that, you know, the interpersonal relationship, like with the father and the son or the sister and the brother yeah. and all that. No, and, um, and I get that. Um, this kind of reminds me of... Um, one of my favorite artists is uh, Gabriel Rodriguez, who did uh, Lock and Key. Mm-hmm. He did his uh, own uh, creator series, uh, creator own series, uh, something I forgot what it's called. Um, and I read that, and I was like, "This looks like Lock and Key, and there's it feels kind of like it, but it's not it." And I didn't like it. Um, and I think I'm having the same effect with Rob Guillory's Farmhand, where it's just like it's giving me the same some of the same feelings that I had when I was reading Chew, but it's leaving me kind of empty. I didn't particularly like this book. Um, but yeah, that's kind of like all I really have to say about it. Uh, the premise is cool. It's just, I don't think it's for me. And I love Chu. It's just, I don't think I like Rob Guillory's writing. Okay. Who's next? You can go. Me? Okay. Um, when I started reading this, I, you know, I love the art. I love the art in Chu. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's something that's just kind of endearing about it. Um, the concept is super messed up, and there's a lot going on with this story. Um, you can tell there was, uh, you know, for something so farcical, there's, there's been a lot of time spent into developing this world and the characters in this world. Um, I thought halfway through this book, I thought, man, this is a hot mess. And by the time I got to the end of the issue, I was like, I need to know what's next. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought I, I, I love the characters. The world is super bizarre. Um, obviously, there's <laughs> I mean, they're growing body parts, uh, you know, from the ground. And, uh, you know, it, it, it was weird. But it's, awesome, it's supposed to be, yeah. yeah. And it was, it was, you know, yeah. By the time I got to the end, I was like, man, I really, I, I really want to go back and read the first issue, and then you pick should. up the the Starting second at issues number after two this. Is a little tough, because they set up a little bit more of the premise between the father and the son. And okay, yeah. I mean, they give. 
And you get Brian, to I think you were telling me this right. where they were, where they kind of give you the, you know, bring you up to speed in, in nine page. panels yeah. or 12 panels. Um, and it, it felt was like, like okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I thought that was, that was a, a really artistic way of doing a summary page. Um, at least in expressing the tension between, you know, the father and the son and, and the family. Um, I'm, I'm super intrigued by this story. I had the opposite um, experience because I have not read Chew and I did not read issue one. So this was like brand new okay. for me. Uh, my first impression when I saw the art, it reminded me of Jim of Food. Hmm. And it also reminded me of, did you guys ever watch that show on UPN called The PJs? Yes. It was no. either on UPN or like this? KTLA. This is an old like claymation show. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and oh, wow. it reminded me a lot of this I as well. I want to say um, Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy was, was involved. Was involved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's what this reminded me of. And it's kind of cool because it had like a cartoony look to it. But the themes and the humor was very dark. And so I was like, okay, I if, like I, on surface level, you would not expect it to be what it is. Um, I thought that it would either be like a really cool... I think if, if, it felt like an FX show, if that makes any sense. Okay. That, and also um, the fact that there is, uh, like, I, I love the dialogue. So it's strange that you didn't like that, because I, that to me is what stood out. Mm -hmm. It yeah. felt like real people talking. Yeah. And I love, there was a couple of pages where um, you to, this guy totally gets, like, the freelancer life. Um, when his, when his uh, wife is talking about she's excited about managing her Etsy, and then he's talking, he's taking those uh, interviews with prospective clients. It's like... Those little moments of real life felt really cool. You can tell that that was from personal experience. Mm -hmm. It felt so real. So I love that. I loved the style. Everything about it was really cool. And like you said, I'm intrigued. This is a really bizarre world that I want to walk into. Is that yeah, everybody? That's, yeah. That's how I feel. I think uh, Rob Guillory's experience on Chew, like he's, he knows how to handle bizarre because he drew it for 16 right. issues, five mm -hmm. years essentially. Because I think that book stayed monthly the entire five years. Um, but yeah, I... Wait, I, two? Yeah. I could have sworn they took breaks. They might have, but I mean, it was essentially a five years. Yeah, I know, for like sure. 60 issues. So, um, it was pretty darn regular. That was before they they came up, before Saga came along. And kind of revolutionized the, the, the hiatus schedule. thing. And, and, and made that... A regular concept. Would it shoot like 2010 and Saga's 2011? Or maybe around the same um, time? Yeah, maybe. But I think even at that time, e even if they were uh, somewhat around the same time, I think that Saga was such a new concept that everybody was waiting nope. to see if, if it was viable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was June 3rd, 2009. For Chew? Yeah. Okay. So that was a couple years ahead of Saga. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Um, but Chew was, Chew was pretty darn regular. And one of the things I want to point out with Rob Gallery is he weaves all these goofy little Easter eggs oh, yeah. in, in panels. Like, if you look at titles of books or, like, what what certain mugs say that, you know, or the mailbox, you know, like, just... There's all these goofy little things that he himself just puts in there, and I just think that makes it fun to yeah. look at his stuff. He's having fun. Yeah, he's, he's enjoying the hell out of this it. world. And so I, I really like it. It's, so far, first issue, second issue, five for me. 
I, I really like, I'm intrigued by it. I, I like original ideas. Chu was such an original idea. I thought, how are they ever going to do anything like that again? And he came up with, you know, this. Yeah. So I, I'm down. I'm, I'm, I'm all in on the journey, so. Nice. For me, um, I would say four stars. I, I think it's super creative. I love Guillory's art. Um, the story is is weird and strangely lovable. Um, I think that in the end, even though you have this really bizarre world, this bizarre concept and all these relationships, but I think in the end it's going to be something that everybody can relate to, that there's the weirdness aspects of it, the growing human body parts and whatever darkness there is behind it is something that's an everyday concern to people, mm -hmm. you know, that I think in the end it's something that everybody can relate to. And I'm curious to see how that unfolds. Plus the relationship within his family, sure. with his with his father. and Yeah. Um, I, would, I would give it four stars. Yeah, four stars, five stars, I don't know. It's all good. <laughs> I, I, want, I want to read more of it, and I want to read you now because I'm like, give, I... I after reading this, I was telling you, I went and watched, like, any interview I could find of him on YouTube, and he's such an interesting guy. Like, he's yeah. so excited about what he does, so I want to get into Chew now. I definitely get the first trade. Yeah, and, definitely. All right. And it's, like, I think it's, like, 10 bucks. That'll, that'll t if you get through that and you're, yeah. like, okay, you'll like the whole series. All right. Because it just has weird twists and turns, and it... They, I have a feeling that I'll be eating it right up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's... Yeah, Chew's really good. I think... Obviously, like, the best part of this book for me is the art because, you know, it's filled with so many Easter eggs and things like that, fun things in the background. Uh, I think uh, Rob Guillory and Chip Zdarsky are the ones that, you know, mainly do that type of thing. Um, I think I wanted this to be Chew, and that's kind of unfair to this book. Mm. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and that's why it's, like, I, I think that's why I'm not enjoying it as much. I'm like, this looks like it, but it doesn't feel like it, you know? Yeah. Um, no, and, and it's completely unfair to the book uh, because, like, I did enjoy... I enjoy the concept. I, I just don't think that I enjoyed uh, how it was delivered, at least to me. Okay, so, uh, yeah, not the execution. Um, that would be interesting. I, I would probably suggest coming back and reading the first trade. Yeah. Because I, that's where I miss so often is that I'll read an issue and it's like, eh. Usually it's Rick Remender. <laughs> yeah. Who I really want back here, by the way. I real I know, right? We'll see. We'll see if we can put a bag over his head and drive him north. I think it's just about how much you're willing to. Jeez. Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, this was a, a three for me. Okay. Still good. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go ahead and switch gears and talk about the Sandman universe. Go Brian, on, I. I want you to review this, Brian. Me? Okay. Yeah. Because uh, you had you had said uh, I'm sorry, not review, but pitch. Okay. Um, we talked about this yesterday, and you said you were holding off on this book right. to read it yeah. until as as close to to uh, your bedtime as you could yes, see. Yeah. I wanted to be half asleep. I wanted to to conjure to summon Morpheus because yeah. I I feel like that's how you have to <laughs> how you have to like. Con uh, consume Neil Gaiman. 
It has well, to be a ritual. Right, and I'm curious to see how that worked because I was like <laughs> wide awake and I was like, man, this guy writes like three levels above yeah. my yeah. my regular conscience. You know, I've always felt no, and that's not Neil Gaiman writing this, but it's yeah. still it's directed it. by him and plotted. Yeah. yeah, so it whoever I can't remember the writer that. That actually did it, or is his name? Well, there's four yeah. that do the different sections. Okay, I, which is basically then kudos to them because they channeled Gaiman. It felt yeah. like Gaiman all the way through. Yeah, to me anyway. I don't know so, about you guys. Oh, I, absolutely, Brian. Go ahead. And yeah, pitch sorry. This book. Okay, so the pitch. Uh, gosh, and I don't even know who the narrator is. I feel like this fella, the uh, librarian, um, is the narrator. I'm not sure if that's the case, but at some point, there's a raven flying through. Matthew. Okay, so Matthew travels what? between... <laughs> uh, the raven Matthew travels between dreams, and each dream that he goes into is a different world. And from my understanding, each one of these worlds is going to spin off into its own uh, series. Yes. So this here, the Sandman universe, number one, or is this just a one-shot? It's is, a one-shot. Okay, and so this is kind of introducing you to the... This is setting up the is Sandman, Sandman universe. universe. Is it a reimagining of the old... Series? It's just like a it's sequel. Like a continuation. Sequel, yeah. continue, okay. And that's what I kind yeah. of, I'm so lost because I have never consumed anything Sandman. Yeah. Um, I Matthew is kind of his sidekick, if you will. Okay. So I, 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 they, actually, of, they actually go into Matthew's backstory in like the 75 issues of Sandman. I forget which I arc. I need to read that, man. It's really <laughs> good. Yeah, I've always felt a little dumb. Like, anytime I try to read anything Sandman, I'm like, I don't get this. This is beyond me. It's very intellectual. Yeah, so I, I don't know if I'm ready for it. I can't wait for them to make a TV show that'll dumb it down for people like myself. <laughs> <laughs> and then maybe I'll revisit this. But um, Hey, weren't they doing a Joseph Gordon-Levitt yeah. type of thing? I think like, it got, back in, like, two, 2013 or something? Yeah, it got canned. He was supposed to star and direct in a Sandman movie. Which yeah, I'm down for. Yeah. He wanted to. He was probably going to be Dream. Uh, yeah, so that's pretty much what this is. It establishes the Sandman universe. Um, the art in is, is freaking amazing, but it changes. And I'm curious about what Johnny, how Johnny feels about that because uh, there is so much shifting. But as you mentioned, Roger, it, it does so in such a convenient, like, masterful way right. that it feels seamless. I, and yeah. I really... <laughs> it took me a second to realize that it did. Yeah. Because I was like, oh, this looks different now. <laughs> Like, I don't know. It, for me, it worked. It worked really well for each theme yeah. and each book that you're going into, essentially, because I think it's... Each dream. Four of them. Yeah. yeah. Well, so and Matthew, you know, Matthew goes into different dreams, so it kind of, I don't know, it makes sense that the expression of those dreams would be different. Mm -hmm. Johnny, what were you going to say? Um, oh, I was going to say that Daniel looks so cute, and I want to hug him. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Because he's essentially a teenager now. Look yeah. at him. He's so cute. Anyway, no. Um, yeah, uh, you mentioned the art changing, and the way that it, they do it is very organic. It's very natural, and I kind of enjoy it when comics do that. Um, like, I would prefer it to be one artist, but I can see they did it uh, in a smart way. Um, this thing asks a lot from the reader. It throws you in, and like I understood most of the references because I read it, you know, a lot. I I love that series, um, and it's just I can't imagine. I mean, you I you haven't read any Sandman, and like I'm I'm wondering, are, are you completely lost because you you have like these references to like 
yeah. you know, he him dying and and being resurrected and, and things like that. And it's just like this seems almost impenetrable to anybody that has. Do they even Sandman. mention him by name? Do they ever say Morpheus or? No, Dream? not really. Um, do they say Daniel? Because that's that's his name, Daniel Hall, okay. the no, new I Sandman. They call him Dream. Right, but it. it it expects you to know yeah. a lot about the Sandman universe. Uh, and for a number one issue, it, it doesn't really lay things out for uh, new readers. Um, so I don't have a ton of knowledge. I've only read uh, Preludes volume. and Nocturnes oh. mm-hmm. and Volume 2. You should read Volume 2. Doll's four. House. Yeah, Doll's House. Yeah. Those are my only two Sandman things that I read. And look, there's a lot that I don't know, but there's also a lot that makes me want to yeah. know it out of this issue. Yeah, it does so, its job. Um, I I don't have a problem not understanding all the references because it's basically telling me, hey, you got four new comics yeah. that you get to read about all this stuff. So I'm like, okay. And at some point, I'm going to make it through the whole Sandman series. Yeah. Um, so I, for me, yeah, I, there's not a whole heck of a lot that I know at some point he changed over to Daniel from Morpheus. I don't know anything about that. That's I don't like want to know about that. two issues. <laughs> until, you know, I get there, but whatever. Like, I'm down. I enjoyed this issue a lot. So. Yeah. Um, was there any one issue that you didn't like over of, the others? Out of this? Or at least, <laughs> yeah, or concept. No, I don't think so. Because you had the Lucifer story. Yeah. Lucifer story was was probably the lowest rated one for me out of this, but okay. I'm not going to say it was bad. And that's where, just to encapsulate that, Lucifer, we find out that Lucifer has a son. Yeah. And he quits. Yeah. Which I think goes back to, I think you were saying, with one of the Sandman volumes, Brian. Um, volume 4, season of this. Volume 4, where Sandman quits. Uh, no. Yes. So Lucifer quits, and he gives the keys uh, to hell. Oh, no, right. Yeah. To Lucifer Sandman. quits, right. And Sandman has to choose, like, who's going to run Sorry, in this one, in this book, we find at the end that Sandman. Morpheus quits. Right. Yeah. Is it Morpheus? Supposedly. Daniel. Right. right. I, I don't know if they ever call him... Like, that's the thing. I don't remember. Dream. Right, dream. dream. The new yeah. dream. And we're not sure. We just see his mask is missing. Matthew and the librarian find the mask missing, and, he, and the librarian says, I think he quit. Yeah. Right. Uh, and, and I assume that was Morpheus? Right. Uh, well, I don't know. Who cares? Um, I, I don't know how I feel about that. Like, Daniel... Because... All I've read from Daniel is the last couple of issues of Neil Gaiman's like 1999 series Sandman, right? And he's been there for a short amount of time. And then the next thing I read is him showing up in Metal, and we don't get anything from him there. Uh, and then him showing up here, and he he got quit. In Batman. Well, okay. Anyway, getting, I was I was very anything uh, from him in Metal. I Thanks, was very okay. excited, and then they did nothing with him. Anyway, he's a powerful character. They <laughs> couldn't just use him all the way through. Then why bring him in anyway? Because it was awesome. <laughs> it was. Um, it was awesome. Yes. I, although I do wish they had done more. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then right here, where like this is the fifth issue with Daniel that I read, and he quits, and it's just like, why? You know, and so obviously you go and read Dreaming number one and, coming out September fifth, two thousand eighteen. And I was just gonna, about to mention that, but like, <laughs> it's it. it, it, it I like some of the plot, uh, you know, elements. It's just I don't think I like where the story is headed to. I think I just want to. You uh, read like freaking one double-sized yeah. issue. So if you guys had to pick one of the series to follow, which one would it be? Oh, the dreaming. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that's number one. 
I actually like the Lucifer one a lot. Um, I'm, I, you have a lot of, uh, you know, religious undertones there that I think that I would really like yeah. to see how they're going to explore. Yeah. You know, with uh, because there was um, that that part of the comic was so biblical. Yeah, and that's know, why I liked it. Talking about yeah, yeah, um, how. How basically Lucifer was relating to God, mm-hmm. you know, that he had a son becoming that, human, yeah, yeah, um, and that you had to, in order to experience life, you needed to give up something, you know, you needed to live as a man, yeah. Um, I found that fascinating, and I, I was like, I think I'm really down for that series. Um, the voodoo one. I think Nathan was saying this earlier that that one didn't really right. do it for him. I'm I'm kind of with him. Um, I'm not sure really what they're setting up there. I love that. Um, doesn't part of American Gods take place in New Orleans? That sounds right. I'm not sure. I don't. But I feel like that's a cool setting. To me, New Orleans is the American, like the most magical town in America. There's so much like yes. ancient practices and magic yes. alive in that city. So it feels like a great setting for it, for a story like this especially. Yeah. That would be interesting. The other one I liked was uh, Books of Magic. That's setting up because I don't know what is going on. Is that with that. Lucian? The, the kid? Lo- oh, yeah, the Harry Potter-like one. Yeah. Oh, right, right. Uh, and it says, Tim Hunter is destined to be either the greatest or most destructive magician who ever lives. You know, I had to stop because I thought, I'm like, are they writing a Harry Potter yeah, comic? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm kid with there, glasses. Right. I'm looking at, you know, his panels. Like, is there a lightning bolt under mm-hmm. that hair? Um, it was called Gotham Academy. Yeah, it felt very... It's really good. Gotham Academy? Gotham Academy. Okay. It's really good. Um, oh, P.S. Lucifer looks... Is that Lucifer, by the way? Yes. But doesn't that look like Bowie? It does. <laughs> it's creepy. It does. You did draw him like going yeah. Stardust. That's pretty rad. Anyway. Uh, no, I'm I'm really down for that story too. I'm really curious because he's like he opens his book and he's like the pages are blank. Yeah. I can't read it. And the teacher, well, the teacher wasn't the teacher. The teacher killed the teacher. Yeah. But she's like you know. Oh, you knew some magic about her ready right for you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, Professor I, Rose. Yeah, there was something about that that story. So those will probably be the two that I I hop onto. Um, I love this art. This reminds me of. Um, I was saying it last week. It reminds me of. Um, uh, you guys ever read the Spiderway Chronicles? Oh, no. I'm uh, familiar. It's like a children's book, but it yeah. has a very like, you know, early 20th century Arthur Rackham kind of illustration style. And that's what I this love that you know reminds that, me of. I don't know I'm just a sucker for like children's books and like yeah. anything fantasy. Sure. So I want to live here, wherever this uh, librarian that's guy. That's the dreaming, I think. Who okay. Is, I think that is the dreaming. But who is the art for that? I don't know. What I'm saying is, I think I that's need to find be the out. artist for the dreaming. I think that was the whole point of this yeah. one shot. Well, and I think that artist would be. Uh, yeah, it was hard to find the credits on this. Because it's just listed. It's yeah, just everything list just flows, and, yeah. and it well, just keeps going. You'll find out when they start coming out. I guess so. There you go. <laughs> well, actually, you know what? Flip to the back when it shows the solicitations. It might be on. It's not. The, it's not on the not covers here. of those? No. Anyways, you'll find that out sucks. soon. Yeah. You'll find out soon. Eventually. Who's on what book? Either way. Coming soon. It's good. Um, it's good stuff. Yeah. 
yeah, it does its job. It's, it asks a lot of questions. It forces you to, to be like, all right, where are we going with this? And it's going to sell some of these series to somebody. So for me, sure. I don't mind when something's not spoon fed to mm -hmm. me and that it makes me work a little bit for it. Yeah. And this one, I had to work a little bit, yeah. especially with my schedule. So I was just like, I was, it was that kind of like looking forward to like, okay, take me on this journey, you know, kind of thing. So, um, well, this I, is for every one of these writers, you know, the writing is so heavy yeah. that they get Neil Gaiman. Yes. Like, I don't know. I, yeah. I don't know how four separate people made it feel like it was one writer and that writer was Neil Gaiman. But it accomplishes that. Yeah. To me, it did. Well, was, that's so funny because when we first came in tonight, I, I had forgotten that there were four different books being launched. And I was like, it struck me as funny that it took four writers to emulate Neil Gaiman. <laughs> and, and I, I found that oddly appropriate, but yeah. then I was like, oh, no, wait. Each one of these guys is emulating Neil Gaiman, and that's crazy yeah. because they do. They, they do it extremely well. Um, it, you know, the, the first one to be canceled from these is probably going to be the voodoo one, but we'll see how, you know, we'll see how they do. Um, but the other ones... I actually, all, look, all of them uh, really do their job. They really live up to Gaiman's legacy with Sandman. I think any one is, is worth picking up to check out. What would you rate it? Four and a half. Brian? Oh, crap. I want, I want to say, like, three or something, but I feel like it's also my fault because I'm not familiar with this stuff. So, like you said earlier, I feel like I'm being unfair to the book. Uh, Context. It, 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 huh? it asks a lot Context. from the reader. Yeah. And that's gaming, though, so I feel like that's I'm kind very of... true. I really think that's true. Yeah. That because I was lost through a lot of this book, but about halfway through, I found my groove. Yeah. you know, and I was like, okay, I get it, and I see what they're doing with Matthew, and they're, and I and I had to remember that they're introducing four different series, which I didn't realize that until late. Once I realized that, I gave it a lot of slack, and I was like, oh wow, okay. And what I appreciated most in the end was how they did this one story that brought in these four different stories that were going to be ongoing for the reader. And I was like, wow, kudos, because that's no small feat. Yeah. yeah. Um, I enjoyed it. It's very, it's kind of like bittersweet to me. It's like if Joe Hill did a lock and key, uh, you know, uh, sequel. I'm like, I don't know if I want to read this because the original material is like very near and dear to me. You know, I love those issues, uh, specifically uh, volume four, season of Miss. Anyway, um, and, and I don't know if I want to keep reading this. I, I do, I'm generally curious um, because I enjoyed most of it, um, but I'm a little, you know, cautious. Um, and and some of the stuff that I didn't enjoy in inside. Uh, it's a four though. I, okay. I liked it. I think that's always a tough task when mm. you come on the heels of a seminal work. Mm -hmm. You know, it was like when they did before Watchmen. That got a lot of criticism up front. It's like, why are you doing this? Why are you touching perfection like that? Keep your hands off of it. Um, and some of the stories were actually really good and true to the source material, and some of the stories just kind of missed the mark. Um, I think that's the same thing with The Sandman. When you go back, you know, that was Neil Gaiman's baby, yeah. you know, and 
that's what you know i mean really truly he made his mark in the world with that story and now to have other people come in and tell stories in that universe it feels almost sacrilegious but he's involved yeah. but he's right he's he is he's worked with right he's the curator of this universe and so nothing you know i, I don't think anything's going to happen in here that doesn't get his stamp right. of approval, which is really cool. Yeah. Executive producer. Um, okay, yeah. man. <laughs> I'm giving it a five. Uh, I like being challenged. I like kind of being forced to hold my breath to swim a little deeper than I normally would. And mm -hmm. I get that every time I read something by Neil Gaiman. Even if, yeah. even if I don't like it or I, I struggle with it, uh, it's usually a good challenge. It, it, he is the kind of writer that forces you to... I guess be a better reader. Yeah. That's a great way of putting it. That's um, a great way of putting it because so often, you know, and especially now, you know, in today's busy time, busy life, and it's like, you know, in reading comics, sometimes you just want junk food. Yeah. yeah. You want to consume it. You want splash pages, yeah. you know, with, with, you know, and there's nothing uh, wrong with that. Scenes, robots blowing and up. sometimes, right. Sometimes yeah. that serves its purpose. Cheesecake is great. Sometimes you really want, you know, a seven-course meal to sit down and just savor for a long time yeah. and make, you know. And this book does that. This book really, you know, um, at least it, it, for the setup. I yeah. think that it really, it really does that. We'll it's see gonna, how everything else goes. Yeah. But I, like I said, with, with his material, I feel like that's, for me, personally, that's how I've always felt with everything that I've read of his, is he's the kind of writer that forces you to be a better reader. Challenges you. Yeah, yeah. and I don't mind the challenge sometimes. What so. are your favorite gaming stories, by the way? Are you asking me personally? Or all of y'all, yeah. Um, Stardust. Okay. Now, look, I haven't I haven't read a lot of yeah. Neil Gaiman. I haven't seen a lot. And I say Stardust because I saw the movie. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, man, I want to read that book. And I never went back and read that book. But the movie left that impression but on me. But the movie left the, left the impression on me. Um, I, I can't, I'm so limited. Yeah. I, this is really going to sound crass, probably, but I like The Eternals okay. by him. Um which was just a, you know, it was a straight-up comic series. I like Marvel 1602. Oh, that was him. Which was, yeah, I mean, and that I was like... I finish that at some point. Yeah. That was like, holy cow, this is, you know, you read that story, and yeah. it's like, it, it, you just know, it was it, like Kayla. the Marvel Universe was an aberration yeah. that, you know, that there was this event that caused the Marvel Universe to spawn 400 years right. before its time. All kind of surrounding Captain America, and it was like, but you don't get that revelation until the end. And it was like, I was like, holy cow, you know. And you guys haven't reviewed guy, that here, have you? Have we? What have we reviewed? Yeah, Marvel remember, I totally, yeah, we did like uh, finishing that book. I yeah, had to like review think, it off yeah, of like I think three quarters. Marvel 1602 yeah. by Neil Gaiman, yeah. Oh, he did. <laughs> I got through three quarters of it. And that was before the Academy. That's okay. No, right. There was a reason. I was right? watching Stranger Things. Okay. <laughs> Valid. That was right when Stranger Things, like, I got into it, so. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I love him as a writer because he actually, you know, he can, he can be so almost obtuse yeah. with his writing that he's unapproachable yeah. that it's like wow this is beyond my comprehension 
and then he can go and write a story that's, you know, um, almost worldly um, connected, you know, yeah. that just everybody can relate to. So I, I love him. My, I, I, once same answer uh, or same kind of thing is. Uh, Thank you. I don't have a lot of exposure to him uh-huh. either, but I've read the American Gods comic, oh, which I've, was like, uh-huh. what is happening right now? You know, kind of thing. Um, but I, I really like uh, the Sandman volume two that we did. That oh, was really nice. good. But I also like Preludes and Nocturnes because that was, I think, one of the first things I read mm-hmm. uh, by Neil Gaiman, and that was my introduction to the Sandman universe. And I didn't know that that was... One that had the Justice League in it, right? Preludes and Nocturnes? Yeah. Volume 1? Yeah, it did. Um, at least it had uh, Martian Manhunter and um, John No, wait, I'm sorry. It wasn't Preludes and Nocturnes. It was the prequel. Uh, Overture. Oh. Sandman oh, Overture. Okay. Oh, Overture. Okay, That's gotcha. what I'm thinking of. Sorry. I need to read Preludes and Nocturnes because I skipped that and went to Dollhouse. So, my bad. Just reading... I remember when that started coming out. I thought, okay, I'm going to start with Overture and then go through mm-hmm. Preludes and Nocturnes, Dollhouse, all that stuff. And I remember that the, the schedule, the release schedule on Overture was brutal. Yeah. There was some sort of like ridiculous delay. Wait be- delay yeah. between issues or something like that. And I, there was so much of that book that I did not understand, but I was excited to read it every week. So I don't even know how to explain that, but that's how I knew, like, okay, this guy's yeah. forcing me to be you know, better at, you know, reading. So, I'm going to say that one. I like The uh, Ocean at the End of the Lane. All right. Uh, it's a novel that he came out with a couple of years ago. But obviously, it's Sandman. Okay. That's my favorite thing. I really like uh, Preludes and Nocturnes, which is the first volume, um, because he has, like, this this moment, uh, this scene where he's in hell and he's trying to get, I think, his helm back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he has this sort of, like, uh, poet rap battle with one of the demons, like, saying, yeah. like, oh, which one's uh, stronger? And, and he's having, like, this battle with words with a demon, and it's amazing. Yeah. And the art's just... I, I love everything, Sandman. Volume 1 Sweet. and Volume 4, and uh, the volume before the last one, 9, mm-hmm. Volume 9, are just amazing. I, um, and uh, whatever happened to the Cape Crusader, that's pretty good, mm-hmm. too. Uh, I was underwhelmed by that. What? But I didn't. I don't think I had context because mm. Alan Moore wrote the original. Um, whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow? Right. Was Superman? Uh-huh. Um, the Cape Crusader one was something that came on the heels of that. Fifteen years later, mm-hmm. it was really good. But I don't think I had the context to appreciate what he did with that story. I also like his uh, Norse mythology book. Uh, oh, yeah. It's Hell really yeah. well Ooh. done. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is it Norse gods or Norse mythology? Norse mythology. Norse mythology. That's, yeah. That's one that I want to get A lot of his prose books are just like, yeah, this is Neil Gaiman. Yeah. <laughs> you don't need art to know that this is Neil Gaiman. Uh, the dude's a genius. Yeah. I love him. Nobody I want to read Coraline. Now. What's up with that? Coraline's good, too. <laughs> oh, oh, there you right. go. Right. I, I didn't know that that was yeah. the name. Yeah. That makes a heck If you of ever lot listen sense. to him narrating the audiobook, mm. like the movie's great, but him reading that, it's it's very creepy. His voice and is like a it's, song. It's amazing. I that's do awesome. recommend I'm going to have to do that at some yeah. point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's definitely out on my list now. All right. Um, I'm going to say we're going to skip lightning rounds. 
for tonight? Are we doing okay. something? I have something. Oh, that you need to go ahead. Okay, go ahead, real uh, quick. Yeah, real One quick. Um, Let me throw a minute up. Go. It's fine. Uh, so yeah, uh, I recently started uh, reading Nancy Drew from Dynamite, uh, written by uh, Kelly Thompson, uh, who's writing Mr. and Mrs. X, and uh, drawn by Jen St. Ange, who did the art on Bingo Love. Uh, and the first issue was like, okay, but the second issue, it, it feels like a nice mystery, like uh, young adult uh, book. And I've been really enjoying it, loving the art. Um, and the Hardy Boys are in it too. Uh, they're her friends. And it's just, like, I've never read any Nancy Drew, but I saw that it was Kelly Thompson and Jen St. Ange. I'm like, yep, please give it to me. And um, I'm really enjoying it so far. Uh, if I think it's definitely a young adult, maybe 15 to, like, eight, 18. So. Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew are books for young adults. Are they? Yeah, they're yeah. prose books. Oh, okay. Mysteries. Yes. I should read some of those, but, like, this this comic is, is like... If you read the OG uh-huh. Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew, it would be, like, eight and under. Okay. Seriously. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, but uh, I wouldn't recommend it to anybody under, like, 14 or so. Uh, like I said, the first issue's uh, okay. The second issue and the third issue are just, like, uh, that's when that's Kelly, good. yeah, is hitting her stride. It's really good. Anything you want to talk about, Brian? Um, Off the cuff? N- nothing that I can think okay. of. Put I'm good. Are you good? Because I don't good. have anything either. All right, cool. We're just going to go uh, right into the highlights for next week. I'm assuming for Marvel... We're either reviewing Edge of Spider Geddon or Extermination. Oh. Por que no los dos? Ouch. Yeah, Wars one Black. of those. I don't know what Star Extermination? Wars Extermination? Probably. Because if you look at the new key art from uh, the X-Men. Oh, I'm sorry. There's also Astonishing X-Men Annual number one. Cable no. Deadpool Annual no. number one. In case no. you wanted to review any of those. No. Okay, no thank you. <laughs> it'll it'll probably be extermination. Yeah, because if you look at the key art from the new uh, dissembled X Men Uncanny, the all the original five that are time displaced are not on there. So it's like, what happened in extermination or whatever it's called. So uh, for DC, are we reviewing Pearl number one? Oh, that's the plan. Unless there's something better. Well. I'm curious. Look, I want I want there to be a good reason that DC got Bendis. That's his first creator-owned issue coming out. You guys yes. have been liking the Superman stuff, right? It's what? Been bad. Yeah. But it's not yeah. Tomasi and. Well, it's nothing's gonna be that good. I don't think. Not Tomasi and Gleason. Yeah, I'm still looking for a reason that they're not writing those books. So. I liked 1001, action. Haven't yeah. read it. Good. It's Gleason on art, so it feels familiar. Sure. Okay. Um, okay. There's some great. There's a new villain okay. that pops in that's more intriguing than Rogar Zar Junior. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so yeah. you know what? Pearl Teresa and I went to see Mission Impossible. Me too. Okay, so that point where Henry Cavill gets sprayed with like the hot hydraulic yeah. grease in the helicopter, and he's like, ah, in his whole left face. I was like, oh, Superman looks like Rogar Zar now. <laughs> <laughs> I was really mad that there wasn't an additional plot twist to that whole story because I kind of saw that coming as it was going. Well, they spent so much time one-upping themselves with the action sequences. Which were all great. They were all great, yeah. I was like, man, Tom Cruise is 50 what? 56. Jesus, you know, I need to step up my game. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, for the indie books, uh, or no, for the, the DC books, uh, we're doing Pearl, and then for Indy, uh, to be TBA. 
Wait, how is Magic Order number three already out when I haven't gotten a number two in my poll? Did Magic Order number two already come out? Yes, sir. What? Yep. Yep. Was it in my poll? I don't know. Are you current on your books? I haven't picked them up this week. I don't think it was this week. Oh my gosh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna crap. Wrong. Teresa is checking into it as we speak. All right. Anyway, um, this is good licorice. We don't have anything like number one wise coming out next week, Roger. Do you know what we're gonna review? Is it TBA? TBA. Okay. Wait. Um, number one? What you mean for indie? Yeah. I have no idea. There's, it's just the uh, graphic novel next week. Just FYI for you guys. Yeah, please. Um, is uh, Echo Volume One? Oh, okay. Sweet, Terry Moore. Yeah. Yep. Yes, finally. I have um, a reason. David Arroyo will be on. Um, yeah, the comics. Look, hey, to all of you guys out there, I have to apologize because over the last month, I've really been flying by the seat of my pants and scheduling stuff as I go. Um, and trying, try, it was like last week, I mean, we forgot to, to give away the graphic novel. Um, probably not the last hiccup this year, but, um, Dumpster but we'll, we'll, you have an excuse keep, for flying by the we'll seat of your pants, Roger. You've been, you've been working on all of this. Speaking of which, um, hopefully next week, Matt, if we can pull this off, we're yeah. going to try and pull up a live feed by, no, by Twitch. No guarantees. We're going to make a new chit so Twitch just, channel. Yeah, yeah, heads up right now. I mean, you guys will get this episode uh, Monday morning. Listen to it. Expect that Friday night we might have a live Twitch feed. We'll yeah. see. We'll, we'll and just see. to let everybody know right Don't. now, Blake and Blaine are playing Mario Kart on the TV. Mm-hmm. Hell yeah. Allegedly. Allegedly, <laughs> while this is all going on, too. Hey, man, so. in a couple weeks, I'm going to be playing Spider-Man, and someone else is doing the show. You're <laughs> 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 just giving up. Oh, just that, dropping the keys it's off. It's the day it comes out. Dude, you got to play it's it. It's insomniac. <laughs> um, okay. All right, awesome. So at this point, we're going to go ahead and transition over to our graphic novel review. Oh, yeah. Who's going to pitch that book? Who hasn't Johnny. something? Johnny. I don't please please don't let me. Please don't let me pitch this book. What's the graphic novel? It's Neonomicon oh. by Alan Moore and oh, Jason Burroughs. That's Jason punishment. Burroughs. Um Let me see. <laughs> Go ahead. By the way, in Roger's origin story, you did a great job of pitching it. Comic book legend. Yeah, yeah. You were waxing poetic about Neonomicon. Alan Moore. Hey, yeah, yeah. Really, Matt, we covered a lot of ground. <laughs> I don't remember, and I haven't listened to it. But, yeah, maybe we'll do an origin story part two, because I kind of felt like there was a lot missing, but I don't know. There was a lot in there. Uh, Brares and Lamper, two young and cocky FBI agents, investigate a fresh series of ritual murders somehow tied to the final undercover assignment of Aldo Sachs. Once the golden boy of the Bureau, now a convicted killer and inmate of a maximum security prison. From their interrogation of Sachs, uh, where he spoke exclusively in inhuman tongues, to a related drug raid on a seedy rock club rife with arcane symbols and otherworldly lyrics, they suspect that they are on the trail of something awful. But nothing can prepare them for the creeping insanity and unspeakable terrors they will face in the small harbor town of Innsmouth. 
<laughs> anyway, uh, Neonomicon is a terrifying step on the path towards more and Burroughs' final dose of Lovecraftian horror, Providence. Let me, you know, let me, let me, okay, so that's the pitch. Um, let me, let me give a minute on this book, my, okay. my feeling about it. I, I, I love Neonomicon. It's not going to be for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Alan Moore. It's a, it's truly a horror story, but it's every bit as much a horror story, a horror story in the fiction sense as it is in the nonfiction sense as the subject matter that it, um, takes on. Okay. Um, there's stuff in here that look, you know, if you're, if you're under 18, I just don't even, Yeah, no, it's, um, it's not, you know, at times it's an uncomfortable, uncomfortable book to read, but in, in the end, you know, it's oddly gratifying. Um, I think Alan Moore is, uh, an amazing writer, and I think what he does with this book, that you have Courtyard is is a two issue story about an FBI detective who is examining these ritualistic murders, and how he kind of spirals into, you know, madness. Um, Neonomicon, which this book is named after, is a four issues follow up story about his brethren on the force trying to find out. What the heck happened to Joe, right? Um, and it, it it's really hard to read at times, um, but I, I think it's fascinating. Um, and it has to do with the old gods reclaiming the earth. Um, it's expertly written. Um, I love it, but... I will tell you, it's not for the faint of heart. Johnny, go ahead with your minute. <laughs> you I, want me? I'm sorry. I mean, I, that's like three minutes. But you, you want me to go? Go ahead. Okay. No, it's cool because you, I, I understand the reason. The reason I picked on you was because I know that you're going to be at the polar opposite spectrum. Definitely. It's. <clears throat> See, I read this a long time ago when I got first got into comics because everybody told me, oh, Alan Moore's the greatest. Alan Moore's the greatest. He's not. Anyway, this... That's highly subjective. Your yes, opinion. exactly. It's, it's also subjective <laughs> that he's the greatest. Um, sure, Johnny. <laughs> the thing about this book is it... It's kind of a bummer when he goes on interviews and says he only wrote this for, for a paycheck. Uh, like... I read, I read that interview uh, after I read it, and the thing about it, it, it just, it feels like it's a book stuffed with a bunch of literary, uh, uh, what is the word? Um, what's that? References. references. Thank you, Kayla. Literary references just for the sake of it. It feels like it's violence just for the sake of it. It feels like it's a non-story. It feels, it honestly, truly feels like it's a book written for a paycheck, and that sucks to say, but like, he literally said it. Alan Moore said, "I only wrote this because I wanted to get paid," and and it, it's a bummer. I, I doesn't every writer though. I mean, yes, but like you you bring doesn't this up. Every artist? You bring this up all the time with most of Marvel's things. It's like, oh, he's clearly writing this for a paycheck. He's clear. But no, I usually say he's phoning it in. Like he's right. Not okay. Well, he phoned it in here. Yeah, um, but he knows how to phone it in and actually like do a good job. Mm, 
not with this book. Uh, and like, it's subjective. Uh, it, not for me. It, it's. It, it's hard. I love to... How you speak so objectively, and then you just like, <laughs> no, it's just not for me. I'm not speaking objectively. You you make it sound like it's no, so no, no. firm, Johnny. <laughs> well, it, because it is. This is how I feel. This is exactly how I feel about this book. I have very strong feelings about this book that I do not like it, um, and I'm trying to explain why. It, it's because it it, it feels like it, it's just a story for the sake of it. It, it doesn't. It and I hate to say this, but it feels like Lovecraft Lovecraftian fan fiction. And there's nothing wrong with fan fiction, but it's when it's it's when fan, fan fiction's bad <laughs> that it's it's something you know that I don't want to read. Um, and, and and it's a bummer that this this writer who's very good just does not care about his own work. That he admits that he wrote this just for a paycheck. He does not care about this book, and that sucks. You know, like listening to an interview with him saying that, it's it's a bummer, you know, because like I that's what I thought, but I'm you know, that's it, it's kind of messed up to say like oh he's phoning in he's writing it for a paycheck, but he said it himself, and it feels like that. Brian, all right, man, I got a lot of a lot to say yeah. in response to that. First off, um. As a creator myself, I feel like uh, so many great works were done for the paycheck. Yes. Do you think Michelangelo created those masterpieces because it came from his heart? He was commissioned to paint all of that stuff, you know? So it's totally fine to, like, make art for art's sake. About you calling it bad Lovecraftian fan fiction, um, I feel that what he did, just like what you guys were saying about uh, Sandman, he channeled Lovecraft. He took the Lovecraftian formula Mm -hmm. and he applied it to a different setting, a different story. And... The Lovecraftian formula, and this is something, a conversation I had with, with Roger. Do you have to be familiar with Lovecraft to get this story? Or is this story a good introduction to Lovecraft? Because the formula of, like, of, of Lovecraft short stories, it's man asks question. The answer turns out to be larger and more ancient than he anticipated. And then the man ends up going mad as a result of that. And it's the same thing applied over and over and over. And yeah, you could argue that Lovecraft is a shitty writer, and that's totally fine. But the things that he inspires, mm-hmm. the fact that we're still talking to him about him, the fact that I'm wearing a Cthulhu pin right now, you it's know, nice decades and decades That's after really the guy, nice you know, did his stuff, yeah. almost 100 years after he started writing the Cthulhu mythos, the guy essentially created the extended universe, you know? Right. So um, I think it's a great tribute to Lovecraft. Um, I wrote like a full thing of notes because I was like stopping because I was like, oh, this is dope, this is dope. Mm-hmm. I've never finished a comic book faster than this like, normally it takes me a while to read, but this one, as soon as, like, one issue ends, I'm like, all right, what happens next? What happens next? It's so cool. It's so Alan Moore in that um, the first panel is the same as the last panel on both issues, um, on, on both stories, rather. So it mirrors just like that. It's, it's, I love it. I love it. But then again, I'm just a big Lovecraft fanboy, no, so no, yeah. it's, it's for me, you know? Yeah. And, and I think this, this book, like, that's the biggest thing is, like, it's not for me. If yeah. I want, like, a horror, like, this type of horror... I'll read something better like Black Monday Murders. You know, that, that's like kind of in the same vein, but it's more interesting to me. Okay. Um, I'm going to say I'm gonna say this about this book. Okay. You read Courtyard. Okay. Courtyard came out in, I think, late 90s, early 2000s. It was a two-issue series mm-hmm. that kind of introduced it. It was followed up by a four-issue series called Neonomicon in the mid uh, mid-2000s, say 2005 to 2008. 
Um, this is actually a trilogy, a trilogy of stories. I mean, it went two issues for Courtyard, four issues for Neonomicon, and then a 12-issue series called Providence. And Providence, Providence to me is kind of special. I mean, it, it wraps this whole thing up, and it goes, it starts off as a prequel to Courtyard by uh, probably 100 years, and ends up being a sequel to the series. And when you see, because I've heard a lot of people kind of um, bash Neonomicon. Like, eh, you know, Courtyard was, is, is a pretty gripping two issues. It's about, you know, the, the quick, epic descent of the human mind. Mm -hmm. um, and Neonomicon, Neon, Neonomicon, look, it's going gonna, it's gonna to horrify you which I think any horror book should, but it actually, you know, because it deals with um, subject matter that's not easy, you know, to, to deal with. It's uncomfortable. But Providence is different, too. I mean, each of these stories is different. Providence, um, you know, it's, it, like I said, it starts off with a prequel, and it ends up as a sequel to Neonomicon, and I think together it all... Um, it, it it's a complete story, and 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 this is all about everything that these stories are about. Um, Courtyard, Neonomicon, Providence. It's about the uh, the old gods re-inhabiting the earth, taking back what was theirs, and it's 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 phenomenal horror. I mean, it's phenomenally written, and 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 my estate. I mean, I think it's really good. John, sorry, guys. All right, so I'm just going to do this really easy. Blaine, Ooh. as succinctly as possible, what do you think of Neonomicon? Neonomicon is like the craziest, most effed up book you could ever read, but if you're a Lovecraft fan, it's perfect. Boom. That's my review. <laughs> Did you catch that? Five out of five. Okay. It's five out of five. Uh, it's the most crazy, effed up thing you can read if you're a Lovecraftian fan. Read Dagon. I've read Dagon and then this. Well, yeah, and that's interesting. I've never read. I yeah. assume that's by Lovecraft. Yeah, it's a short story about like a German submarine captain who's stranded on like a little patch of land. Starts walking through like old ones, like underwater fish beetles. It's awesome. Right. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, and that's again like if you're not into Lovecraft, this might be a good introduction to the Lovecraft. Mythology yeah, well, because you posed that question to me, and I thought, yeah. I, I personally think it's a good introduction to him. But if you already do love Lovecraft, um, you mentioned that this is just full of, of references. There's a, a line in it where one of the cops, she's like, this whole thing feels like a big literary joke. And there's so many things sprinkled in there, so many Lovecraftian references thrown in there that if you're a fan, you're like, oh, I know this. This is a, this is a setting. This is a... Like and, and Lovecraft invented that. Lovecraft invented referencing his own stories and his mm -hmm. buddies, his circle of, of writer friends, they would reference the Necronomicon and that became what it is today, you know? So it's great. If you love Lovecraft, you're going to love Neonomicon. If you don't, are not familiar with Lovecraft, then like check horror. this out. Yeah, and also, like, one of the things that you kept bringing up is the sex of it. Lovecraft was notoriously asexual. Like, he was frightened by sex and yet... Again, one of the cops says it. I think the whole thing is about sex. Like, there's so many weird things in it. Right. The sex plays a big part into this one, so it's very 
Um, if you are into like Aleister Crowley and that sort of like sex magic, it might have something to do with that. Um, there's there's so much of it that's again, if you're into the old one stuff, then it all it's it's a great homage to it. So five for me. Um, it's five stars for me. Uh, I you know, and there's a part of me that sure wants to go take a shower after saying that, but it's, just, it's expertly written. I mean, it, it's so funny for me because you know, so often I think Alan Moore. You know, if you think about Alan Moore, you think of you know this rat bearded, you know, crazy guy who is just he's off his rocker but the research that he puts into this and the depth with which he writes the story is is too perfect mm. you know it's exactly what it wants to be and this guy this guy is crazy talent and i love i love it it's five um look i i don't like horror I, I don't have a whole lot of background in uh, Lovecraftian type stuff. Uh, Blaine forced me to read this uh, because apparently when you're friends, you, you make sacrifices <laughs> like that for one another. Uh, this book made me want to wash my eyes, like literally pluck them out and scrub them. What was worse, this or pepper spray? And then, uh, I, I, you <laughs> know what? This is tough, dude. It's, it's not an easy read. It's not an no. enjoyable read, but... Like you're saying, Alan Moore is a very skilled craftsman. Um, he knows what he's doing. Even if he's phoning it in, it's better than most other things when people try hard. So, five. Yeah, look, I'll go back to... Um, no, not not Manifest Destiny. Um, Hickman's book. Oh, Black Monday Murders? No, no, East no. East West? No, before West. that. Manhattan Projects? Manhattan Projects. Number one. Yeah. It, you know, it pushed buttons in me. That I mean, that that his number one issue made me so mad, you know, that I I mean, just out of respect for that, you I need went to back review. and read issue number two and three, and I was like, okay, now I see what you're doing. But you we know, and and that was the same one. thing yeah. with this with Alan Moore. It's like, you know, you read this. And it's like he takes you takes you places to that aren't comfortable, you know. And it's like that, you oh, know. I I shouldn't be reading this. I shouldn't be seeing it. It shouldn't be this good. And I I don't know. I respect that. I think that you know he challenges you to think, and it's not just you know um, lip service on his part. I think you know it's I don't know. Also, you guys often, when you uh, review a book negatively, you're like, this did nothing for me. I feel like this accomplishes the thing that all storytellers aim to do is to make you feel something. Whether it's a negative feeling or a positive feeling, you feel something when you're done with this right. book. So, Yeah, like me mediocrity is probably sometimes worse than a negative, you know. Um, this is sure. not mediocre. Like, I know what he's... I know how he writes, and you know he writes well. I just don't think that it's for me the way that he writes. Right. Things. Well, it's not. It's not something you want in your world. Right. Like I, I really like horror, just not, not like, and not all of it's gratuitous. Uh, but there's just a bunch of like images that I feel like they are. They're, they're probably not. And I don't like the way that he writes the, the, the majority of the FBI because they're all bad. And I'm like. 
clearly there has to be someone oh, they're that's not okay. all bad. Mm. Well, they o- always say something kind of like not great. Uh, the thing, uh, yeah. <laughs> I had a really hard time with this book. Um, it, it, it just felt like, I don't know. I, I wish I liked it because I really like this. The, the, I really like Black Monday Murders the way that they, they do it right, sure. right there. And I really like uh, like the slasher horror and things like that. I don't think I like this. Um, I understand. It's a two for me. Look, and if, yeah, no, I, t- I totally get that. And look, I you know we've been beating around the bush, and I yeah because this is an all ages podcast, but I want I want you guys to know what you're kind of getting into with this book, so I'm just gonna say it. But there's there's a gang rape scene in this book that yeah. is extremely hard to deal with, but it has to do with this woman being impregnated uh, with. The second coming. The second coming of Cthulhu. Okay, <laughs> that's, that's how that's, that's cool. how hardcore yeah. this story is, and it's not for anyone faint of heart. I don't care how old you are. You know, I you know, look. This isn't an all ages book, but I dare say it's not an any ages book, depending on what your predilections are going into it. Mm-hmm. I wish if I you want to know. You wish you'd never read it? <laughs> yeah, it, it was... Yeah. Hey, look. Like, it's one of those things where I'm like, oh. Did you guys ever see that movie, Eyes Wide Shut? No, Ooh. no. Oh, that, Maybe. That's how I Wait. felt. <laughs> Teresa, did we see that? Amazing That's how I felt. Like, it, I felt was gross. With, um, Tom, Tom Cruise, Cruise and Nicole and Kidman. Nicole Kidman. Yeah. yeah. That, no? Never saw it? At the okay. end of it, you don't feel good. And that's how I felt with this one. Yeah. I was like, oh, gosh, like... I just had to like sit there and, and process for a bit because yeah, it was and that's what you know one of and that's why you know one of the interesting things about this book is I think that if you you know when you read Neonomicon because it had been it had been a couple years b- between when I read Neonomicon oh, and I right. read back and read Providence or started reading that when the monthlies came out so you read this first then Providence and then this again yes okay. Um, and that's why I was able to pick up on right. some of the foreshadowing that they that Alan Moore had done for Providence, um, not knowing that the first time I had read it, and I was like, "Wow!" Because um, Providence, I think, is is a truly seminal work. Mm. Um, I'm sorry, like I'm getting completely distracted by this Mario Kart game that's happening. We have their friendship almost ended have, because Blaine just won, or yeah, Blake just won around. Really. Yeah. yeah a, you, haven't, you haven't been seeing the not ending like celebration. Okay. Sorry, go. So go anyway, yeah. Uh, but this was re-released t- in conjunction with Providence, right? Yeah. Okay. Yes. And they have yet to. Yeah. If, if you're gonna if you if you're gonna embark on this story, understand it's super dark. Um, it's it's twisted. It's expertly written. But I think you want to read it in its full context um, and read Providence after you read this because you get a lot more out of that and you actually get a conclusion. Not to, not to say that it makes anything easier to stomach in Neonomicon because it's hard. That That's that's not going to be possible. Freaking A. Yep. But um, as horror comics go, this is one of the best I've ever written because it is... Wait, tr- you wrote it, this? It, it truly... <laughs> What? Did I say the best I've ever written? (laughs) Yeah, I've had a few. Uh, One of the best I've ever read. Because, uh, 
Um, it's truly horrifying. We have a question from Nathan Armantrout that just came in. Nathan, oh. yeah. go ahead. Uh, question for the podcast after the after the Neonomicon review. What do you guys recommend scrubbing your brain with after reading Neonomicon <laughs> to get those images out of your head? Bleach, that's, sulfuric acid, or something stronger? That's so appropriate. Yeah. Uh, My Little Pony. Oh, yeah, for sure. Actually, no. No, no don't do that. Power Rangers. <laughs> no, that probably wouldn't help. Yeah, no, don't do that. Um, the Bible. <laughs> right, yeah. Corinthians 2.13. I would recommend going to your local library, asking where the occult section is, and checking out a book called The Necronomicon. <laughs> it might be a little hard to read, but right. it's good for you. So, I, and I completely just pulled that out of thin air. What is Corinthians 2.13? What does that say? That would uh, be awesome. First Corinthians or second Corinthians? There's two Corinthians. Well, I don't know. What's Corinthians 2 colon 13? Okay. First Corinthians. We'll All right. <laughs> <laughs> Why does this matter? Let's keep it going. Let's keep it going. This is like, yeah. If it's so, related, that, that's I know, so that would be that'd really be weird, weird, right? <laughs> what are the odds pulling out a verse and it's... That relates. I don't know. You know, any good biblical verse, any biblical verse worth its weight is universal, right? That's true. And we that impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit interpreting spiritual truths to be those who are spiritual. Yep. That's, that's pretty good. That's I mean, it's pretty, that's pretty good, especially yeah. with all the speaking in tongues. Yeah. And that was one of the things I, oh, I respected yeah. about this book was that you kind of take the, you know, the biblical sense yeah. of speaking in tongues and turn it on its head and say, and oh, that's say very that Lovecraftian. And that language, a, the ancient language, is in every yeah, Lovecraft story. That there's a there's a polar opposite yeah. to it. Just for context, though, that was when the Apostle Paul was actually sending letters to the Corinthians about like Christ being crucified and finding faith in Him. So, yeah. okay. So not old gods, not actual, not Christ. being nailed to actual Christ. Okay. So where are we at? Uh, we are at trivia. All right. Oh, good. Let, all right. Let me you say. Let me say first yeah. off. Okay. And this was brought to my attention by a few of you guys. I love you for it. Um, we forgot to give away the Manifest Destiny trade paperback last week. Don't mind our dumpster fire podcasts. Yeah. It's okay. <laughs> hey, you know, one of these days we'll get caught up, and it'll be a no. It'll never be a smooth, no. efficient. Never. Machine. Never. But I think that's what's so endearing about us. Okay, so the Manifest Destiny trade paperback winner from two weeks ago? Two weeks ago. Is Zoe DePaz. Nice. Congratulations, Zoe, or Heather, or Christian. <laughs> it's all in the family. Okay, so congratulations and... Okay, so I used Fernando's question from last week. Uh, Who else had used the name Nightwing in DC Comics? According to his answer that he sent in with that question, only one person got the name right or the answer correct, and that was Van Z. was what the answer Fernando was looking for. And James Mason actually sent in the correct answer, and he was the only one. So Van Z, you mean the actual Kryptonian Nightwing? Yes. Not Superman? I'm going off with Fernando sent and answered. <laughs> All right. But there was many, many. There was like uh, Red Hood at one point and then Clark at one point and all these different things that people were he sending. He wanted in. Kryptonian That's, ancient yeah. hero. According to, I know his question was kind of vague, but that was the answer he yeah. provided. That was the correct choice. Got it. I didn't give choices on that one, but that's what he indicated because <laughs> it was one of the ones that we used. 
So I want to kind of clarify this again, too. We're, when we're doing trivia, you guys, please send in your questions. It would help us out a lot, your multiple choice questions. And um, anything comics-related, um, have A, B, C, and D. Label your email trivia question to contact at allstarcomicspodcast.com. So it's question, and when you answer the questions for the listener question, mark them trivia answer, because then they're going to kind of get jumbled with the way we're going to try this out for a little bit. And so, all right, w- I'm going to say the question. Um, if you know the answer, do not say anything. If you know the answer, you're going to go last, so you're not ruining it for anyone else. Gotcha. I know two of the people are gone right now, so that's kind of interesting. Um, Roger. He knows. We're so getting ready to do the, 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 the trivia well, question. But Johnny, where'd Johnny go, too? Johnny okay. had to leave. Again? Yeah. John, I know that's two weeks in a row. So he's not getting any points. That's I'm okay. Really Caleb was gonna, but playing the part of Johnny for the last 15 minutes of the, this episode what? is... Kayla Miller. Kayla Miller. Okay. All right. Johnny had to get, got to leave. So you can, got to you, get up early you, to go to work. And you got to dial your too angst up to 11. <laughs> Wait, so what's happening? Okay, we're playing trivia okay. the new way. So if you know the answer to said trivia <laughs> question, you go last. If you don't know the answer, you will go first. There's a multiple choice. So I'm always going to go first. Got it? <laughs> um, and I, I like this one. Uh, so the, the, the winner was James, but I actually want to use James' question. Is that okay? Can we do that? Or Yep. Okay. So what? So James is the winner of the comics. Yeah. We're using his question. Yes. So James's question to the panel is, which of the following comic book artists has not produced art that appears on a music album cover? Oh, jeez. The multiple choices are A, Alex Ross, B, Greg Capullo, C, Frank Cho, or D, Todd McFarlane. Oh, snap. So, who, who, does anyone know it? I kind of know. I narrowed it down to two. Yeah. Who does not know it at all? All right, Kayla, what's your answer? Greg Capullo. B, Greg Capullo. Okay. Well, he has. Yeah. Okay, oh, well, okay, okay. There we Don't go. Says, all right. Uh... Who wants to go next? If you all kind of know what you think, or okay, Brian, go. I'm gonna, yeah, I'll, I'll okay, I'll go next. I'll yeah. go on a limb. Uh, you know, to me, uh, who has not who has produced not produced album, album cover for, uh, music album cover? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's either Alex Ross or Frank Cho, and I've got to go with Frank Cho. Okay, uh, Jonathan O'Brien, you want to go next? I don't think Alex Ross has. Okay, so you're going to go with Alex Ross? I'm going to go with Alex okay. Ross. Okay, Jonathan? That was going to be my answer. Okay. But I have this... That's what I wanted to go with, <laughs> yeah. but his style is so It would be really good, and I feel yeah. like uh, I'm conflicted on this one. I feel like Frank Cho would have done like some sort of... Frank indie. Cho would have done something explicit yeah. for somebody, no, no problem. <laughs> well, no, that's true. <laughs> like, that's no really problem. True, yeah. All right, so what do you pick? I'm just gonna go Alex Ross Alex also. Ross. Okay. I'll just join the the bandwagon. So we're gonna last week's episode was kind of a dumpster fire. So we're gonna start with a clean slate this week, starting point one. Oh come on! I got points last yeah, week. Yeah, but that was a yeah, kind just of take away my points. That was kind of a hot mess though. So the correct answer was C. Frank Cho. It was. Boom. Yeah. So Rogers on the board. Boom! <laughs> wow, that's surprising. Wait, so what did Alex Ross do? I don't know. He didn't oh, provide right. context. He just gave me the right <laughs> answer. Well, <laughs> well, that, right. Yep, Google, Google that. Yeah. So no, and that's to me yeah. that his his yeah. styles like how can he not have done because he's so commercial too. Right. I could have sworn though that like Frank Cho would have done right something Some, like underground hip hop. Yeah. And, yeah. College yeah. radio kind of thing. 
something. Yeah. That's so, why. Greg Capullo did the Disturbed, Madden yeah. Thousand Fists. Todd McFarlane. That was a great cool. question, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> that was. <a laughs> I'm ashamed of myself because that's something I normally would know being <laughs> a music. That's your wheelhouse. Yeah, that's my yeah. wheelhouse. So thank you, James, for the so question. I'm, I'm angry, comics. James Mason. Yeah, enjoy the comics. Um, do we have a listener question for them or what? You said you were going to work on that. <laughs> oh, my God. Go ahead to the next segment. <laughs> this is the last question. segment. Should I, should I pause? Wait. Right. Uh, Brian, give huh? us an HP Lovecraft listener question. Golly. Trivia to question. Ask question. To yeah. ask the listeners? Yeah. Well, if you want to win, if you want to win the graphic novel from this week, Neonomicon, think twice. But, yeah, it's well worth it. Answer this question from... Brian Lopez. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, what was the publishing company that published H.P. Lovecraft's work? Um, well, or is is that a good question? Postmortem. Yeah, postmortem. Either okay. that, oh, or okay. where was he normally? What magazine was he published in? To clarify. Gosh. Say it again. Clarify. Yeah. Okay. Let me let me go with the second yeah. one, just because I'm not so sure on the answer of the first one. Okay. Um, yeah, because we need to know the answer yeah. for for it to be sent yeah. in. The highest that. Lovecraft was ever paid for one of his writings. What story was it, and how much was he paid? Oh, okay. that's a good one. That's, that's a, good one. a great question. Yeah. So, if you know the answer to this question, um, uh, what was the highest amount that Lovecraft was paid for a story, and what story was that? Sure. Okay. Um, send your response to contact at allstarcomicspodcast.com. And label it trivia answer. Yeah. Label it trivia answer. And you can win this copy of uh, Neonomicon. Or if you want to send in a question, multiple choice question, to try to stump the panel like a lot of you guys did today, right. great you can work. send that to contact. Yeah, dude, that was a great question. That was yeah. really cool. And I got points. So make sure you send a question with multiple choice answers for and mark the correct one and label that trivia question. Contact at allstarcomicspodcast.com. All right, I guess that's about a wrap. Yeah, <laughs> that's about it. That takes us to the end. So uh, we didn't get any new reviews this week, so people need to step up their game. Uh, if you want to go to Patreon.com or go above and beyond, uh, please rate, review, subscribe, like, and share. But uh, go to Patreon.com slash All Star Comics Podcast. Uh, and if you want to get on for as little as a dollar, that will get you the episode early. $3 is going to get you the multi Multiversity University episode drops. $5 is going to get you origin the story. new segment we started, Origin Story, which, how's my episode doing? Oh, I need to check. But, like, we have about 10-ish people on Patreon, so it probably has about 10 Well, my, I checked today, and mine, mine's more relevant because it's open to the public. It's not that it's just more relevant. <laughs> <laughs> more relevant. It probably it's, is it's more number relevant. Two, it's number two yeah. on the downloads. Okay. So, uh, yeah, relatively, that's okay. And I wanted to um, say, any comments or concerns regarding origin story, please send us an email and let us know. It'll, it'll definitely be punk when, once yours drops live. But, hey, real quick, before we end the show, we have a special shout-out from Blake Starling. Uh, one moment. Oh, God. Uh, my shout-out goes turn it, to turn it, turn it, turn it, Turning, turning. There Sorry, guys. My shout-out goes to uh, James, uh, fellow... J James Mason, all the way in Australia, for answering my Mad Max question finally. I love your list, brother. At first, I was kind of taken aback that uh, Fury Road wasn't up there at top, but then I realized Mel Gibson will and always shall be Mad Max. Amen to you, brother. <laughs> brother. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Dear God. I don't want to know what yeah. that was. Check out Origin Story. Let us know what you think. Yeah. Uh, and then 
all the all the stuff stacked. So beyond beyond that, you're gonna get discounts, free comics, sales, things like that, yeah. mystery boxes, all that. I don't know the f- complete layout for everything, so um, that's all on Patreon. You can go. One sign of these up. days, we'll have to go um, break it down. Yeah, at some point. <laughs> Uh, if you want to keep up with everything at the shop, at Horizon Comics on Twitter and Instagram, like Horizon Comics on Facebook. Did you have something to say? Yes, real quick. Um, we are, now that we're in a new space, and it's really freaking cool, um, Matt and I are looking at rigging up a setup to do a live Twitch feed yeah. of the All-Star Comics yeah. podcast. Maybe like a Horizon so Comics it's quite possible that you will be able to um, tap into that live Next Friday, so stay tuned. I'll I'll try and probably we'll put see. something out on Instagram. Yeah. We'll see if we can get that all hooked up and running. But um, coming soon, um, yeah. we'll do a live Twitch feed. Sweet. Yeah. Uh, if you want to keep up with everything, Johnny Johnny Two X Four on everything, pretty much. Yes. I, I I'd feel remiss if I didn't at least throw that out there for the show. <laughs> since Who are we laugh. talking about? He's not here, so I I'm not know. sure. Uh, if you want to keep up with everything. Brian Lopez Santos. Uh, yeah, just Instagram. I am B, then the number two, R I A N L S. At oh no, wait. Yeah, just on Instagram. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's right. up on the board. Yeah, it's, it's, it's right. hard. It's, 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 it's that's why I printed business cards because it's so hard to be like B and then the number two. So right. if we yeah. had if we had live feed, you would see it's on our marquee, which is awesome. Um, I walked in here and I was like, oh, feeling a little bit like a rock star. I, I felt so totally special. And and that's another thing. Thanks for having me on and thanks for letting me be a part of this. Um, for those of you that have had the privilege of like walking in here and seeing how freaking cool this uh, space is, just the fact that this place exists up here is is so thrilling, and it's even like exponentially more thrilling to be part of the creation. So yeah, thank you. Awesome. Thanks for being on. And seriously, you need to pipe down. Oh, way, I know, way I know. too loud. I'm so talkative. So talkative. <laughs> Um, and then if you want to keep up with everything Kayla since she filled in last minute oh for like five seconds for five at, seconds at Kayla Danvers Instagram Twitter I am at St. Jonathan on the Twitter and the Instagram thank you guys for listening we will see you you will maybe see us oh, possibly yikes. next week so stay tuned have a great week good evening everybody welcome back to Multiversity University I am your host Larry Douglas now last time we talked about Frederick Wortham and sort of his pre-anti-comic book career uh, and, uh, you know, kind of what he was hoping to accomplish uh, with his crusade. Uh, but uh, tonight we're going to talk about what actually happened. What, what did he do uh, to actually uh, make the outcry against comic books worse and lead to the creation of the Comics Code Authority? Well, his opening salvo in the fight against comic books and what he considered uh, inappropriate images that were that children were being exposed to uh, came on the in the May 29th 1948 Saturday Review of Literature in which he wrote an article called The Comics Very Funny. Now of course the title was meant to be sarcastic and uh, he went on in that particular article to outline uh, some of the things that he would then expand on uh, in later years. Now um Later on in 1948, specifically in July, he wrote an, another article for the American Journal of Psychotherapy called The Psychopathology of Comic Books. Now, this was, of course, a, a bit more of a scholarly article, so uh, the Saturday Review of Literature article was uh, designed to sort of inflame the public against comic books 
whereas the one for the American Journal of Psychotherapy was designed to appeal to uh, intellectuals, to psychologists and psychiatrists uh, to get them on board as well. Um, now, part of the problem with what uh, Frederick Wortham did is uh, his methodology was, uh, to say the least, very questionable. Uh, for one thing, uh, when he did study comic book reading among minors, uh, what he did is he only studied comic book reading habits among the juvenile delinquents that he was working with. So, in other words, what he never did is he never did a study of just average children in the United States to see what their comic book reading habits were so that he could compare them to that of juvenile delinquents. So, in other words, he really had no idea whether juvenile delinquents read more comics than the average American child, read fewer comics than the average American child, or read about the same, or whether they even read the same type of comic books. Um, so he had no comparative statistics. And most of his stories were really anecdotal. Uh, basically, it would be like, well, here we have an example of a kid who, um, you know, is 15 years old, has committed some terrible crime, and he reads comic books. So obviously, comic books are bad. I mean, that was kind of really what it boiled down to. But uh, he was able to influence a lot of people to uh, to think that, well, because this very educated person, this prominent psychiatrist is saying these things, obviously it must be true. Um, and this was in spite of the fact that he really made some very outlandish claims, which on their surface uh, seemed to be, you know, pretty ridiculous. Uh, for example, he claimed that Superman was promoting fascism uh, because Superman's idea of, you know, the ideal of being, you know, this big, strong guy that was able to do all these things, that was a fascist idea. Essentially, Superman was a neo-Nazi as far as, as um, Wortham was concerned. And Batman and Robin, well, for him, they were basically um, every gay man's erotic fantasy about having a young boy who lived with you, who was available to you all the time. Uh, and this was, this was what he, he thought Batman and Robin represented. Uh, he even said that if you looked at the art in comic books, um, held the pages in just the right way and squinted in just the right way that you could actually see that there were images of naked people um, hidden in the artwork. Um, I'm not quite sure how you had to squint to see those because I don't recall seeing those in any of the comic books I read as a kid, but uh, nevertheless, or even in any of the Golden or Atomic Age comic books that I, I read, uh, but uh, maybe I just wasn't squinting in the right way. Um, he was also, of course, very critical of Wonder Woman, especially with all the bondage that was in uh, her comic books, but uh, about that, he probably had a point. So, uh, but in any case, uh, he had really poor methodology, although it was convincing to a lot of people, and made some very outlandish claims, and yet basically people were buying it. Uh, so in 1953, he started writing a series of articles for Ladies Home Journal, basically outlining his theories about comic books. And in 1954, when he ended up publishing Seduction of the Innocent, what that really was was a compilation of the articles in, that he had written in the Ladies' Home Journal and an expansion of those. You know, he included more anecdotes and, and things like that. Um, 
Now, to show how influential this was, the Seduction of the Innocent was actually excerpted in Reader's Digest, which was one of the most read magazines of that time period. And Wortham became so influential and uh, such a a prominent name in the anti-comics movement that later on in 1954, after Seduction of the Innocent had been published, the U.S. Senate held hearings on juvenile delinquency and Frederick Wortham was called as one of the prominent experts to testify in that particular set of hearings. Now, those hearings weren't really originally designed to be hearings about comic books. They were designed to be hearings about the problem of increasing juvenile delinquency in the United States, but they basically turned into a kind of uh, anti-comic book uh, set of hearings instead, especially with Wortham being there. And on our next episode, we will talk about those hearings and how they led to the creation of the Comics Code Authority.